Now, get down is what I've been trying to say to Daniel Negreanu's chip stack tonight. I hope it gets down to zero. So myself and the collective members of Poker Fraud Alert are not $7,500 poorer after tonight. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Right now, June 5th, 2014. Right in the beginning middle of the World Series of Poker, and we are very closely following event number 13, the $10,000 No Limit Deuce to Seven Draw Low Ball Championship, an event that normally I have to admit I would not care a bit about. It only got like 90 players, and really, who cares? But this year I care. This year a lot of you care. Because Daniel Negreanu is one of the three remaining players in the event. And if he wins a bracelet, then our bet against him or Ivy winning a bracelet is over. This is by far the closest that either of them have come this year so far in the first 13 events to winning a bracelet. So we're going to be watching this throughout this show. If you're listening in the archives, then... This is almost surely already over, and you probably already know the results, so I apologize to you on that, but I'll be giving updates right now as I'm broadcasting here at 6.42 p.m. Paul Volp is looking the favorite to win it at the moment, and I hope he does with $2 million in chips. Daniel Negreanu with 590000 in chips, and Jason Mercier, 430000 and that's it. Everybody else is gone. Anyway, welcome again. This is a special Thursday night edition of the Poker Fraud Alert Radio Dreffin Friends show. I was unable to make it on Tuesday night. The show was rescheduled for Wednesday, and then it got re-rescheduled for Thursday. So here we are. Right now, at the moment, we are scheduled to broadcast... Five days from now as well on June 10th on our normal Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. time slot. But stay tuned. You never know when that will change during the World Series of Poker. I end up having to change the schedule around, but I'm going to try to get a show done every single week so we don't miss any further shows in 2014. So if you want to play tonight's free roll... I have good news for you that you probably will not have much competition. Whenever we have the show on an off night, that is a night that's different than our usual night, we get fewer people in the free roll. So we have a $60 free roll tonight, donated by Danny Deadwood and Richard Brody's comb-over. Danny gave $50 and Richard gave $10. Of course, it's not Richard Brody, not the quiet lion. He didn't give us anything. But Richard Brody's comb-over gave us money. So thank you to his comb-over for giving us $10. And of course, to Danny Didwood giving us 50 And that makes 60 bucks. The free roll takes place in the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find at the top of the screen of PokerFraudAlert.com. It just recently got upgraded by the administrator of that room, Belly Buster, and thank you to him for upgrading it. So 
Again, click near the top of the screen of PokerFraudAlert.com to get to the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's a completely free tournament. You don't even need play money to enter the tournament. But you need an account there that's separate from the Poker Fraud Alert Forum account. And the tournament takes place tonight at 7.10 p.m. Pacific Time, not a minute late, and there's no late registration. It's No Limit Hold'em. First place will be $30, second place $16, third place $9, fourth place $5. I will send you this money if you win by PayPal, by bank transfer, check. I'll even give you cash at the World Series if you want it. So let me know if you're one of the top four finishers, but make sure that you qualify for the free money. If you do not have a registered account, on Poker Fraud Alert's forum, dated June 1st, 2013 or before, then you do not qualify unless I've already given you permission to qualify. So if I have not given you permission yet to qualify for the free roll and your registration date on the forum is after that date or you don't have an account yet at all, you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks. And the way you can do that is by telling me things you've heard on the show that are not in the official description of the show. And do that for the last three weeks' worth of shows, and you will convince me that you've been around. Otherwise, you will not qualify for the free money. And I'll just move everyone up one place as if you were not there, if you end up winning. So you need to get that email out to me before the tournament starts, unless you have an account that's dated before June 1st, 2013, not 2014. And if you already have permission from me once, then you have it now as well. You don't have to ask again. If you want to get a hold of me tonight, three different ways to do it. Actually, four if you count our two different phone numbers. You can go into the chat room, which is near the top of the screen. It's a button labeled chat. You need an account in the Poker Fraud Alert forum to be able to access the chat. You also need a flash-enabled device. If you have an iPad or an iPhone, then you will not be able to participate in the chat. That's one way, and I'll try to read the chat room as much as I can, but when I'm doing the show by myself, as I am tonight, though it's possible we'll have a co-host, by the way. It's possible. Uh, It's hard for me to read the chat when I'm doing it by myself, so I read it every so often, but... If I don't read it, or if I read it too much, then the show slows down, and I don't like that. You can also text me. The text phone number is different than it has been in the past, so please pay attention. The text phone number, and do not call this number, you won't reach me, but the text phone number is area code 702-623-1423. 702-623-1423 if you want to text me before, during, or after the show, and unless you ask me not to, I will read your text on the air. And again, you can text me anytime, not just during the show. The live call-in phone numbers. The main number is 775-FRAUD55. That's 775-372-8355. You can also reach me on the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a big mountain That hangs over Las Vegas, about 45 minutes away by car. Gets snow during the winter. And I have an old 70s rotary phone that sits on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I am. That number is 
is that phone number. So those are the ways to get a hold of me tonight. If I don't answer the phone when you call me, don't panic. It just means that I'm busy talking about something, and I'll get to you shortly. Here's a text we got tonight from the 410 area code. Actually, came earlier this afternoon. Have you seen the video on the idiot who answered, Surf Clay, here we come on Wheel of Fortune? I have no idea what he's talking about. So I guess the answer is no. But you can text me tonight, 702-623-1423. Why is somebody calling this number? Someone's trying to call that phone number. I had to reject it. Do not call that number. That's 702-623-1423. My phone will ring, but I won't answer it because that phone will not go to the show. Okay, so anyway. Let me give you the agenda tonight. Let me take a quick peek in the chat room. Uh, I guess they're talking about the Negranu tournament here. Oh, I already have an update. Something has already happened as this show is only about 15 minutes old. So, apparently, it's down to Negranu and Volp. That's it. No more Jason Mercier. He's gone. Jason Mercier gets almost a hundred grand. Of course, he spent almost t- he spent ten grand entering it, so he makes almost ninety grand. But it's down to Negranu and Volp. So if Volp does not win this, then we lose our bet. Now, I think the chip counts are wrong because I think there's over 3 million chips in this thing. But it says Paul Volpe, 2.045 million, and Daniel Negreanu, 565,000. I think there's a few chips missing here. But whatever. Volpe has like a 4-to-1 chip, chip lead here. So I really hope that Volpe does not blow this one. I will breathe a big sigh of relief for both myself and the members of my forum if and when Paul Volp wins this. This this was one of the two events I was most worried about, by the way, because it has a field of fewer than 100 people. The other one, of course, being the one drop coming up. So if we dodge this bullet, then we're looking fairly good in this bet. But still a big bullet to dodge here. Negreanu, a good player, very experienced tournament player, and hopefully Paul Volp can defeat him. So anyway, let's uh, give the agenda tonight. A number of things to talk about, actually. First of all, the Poker Fraud Alert hats are ready. They're done. They've been printed. There are 72... PokerFraudAlert.com hats. And I've posted the design before in case you... In fact, you can go to Twitter right now and see a picture of an actual hat that has been printed. But we have 72 hats. 24 are white. 24 are red. And 24 are blue. Very patriotic. Red, white, and blue. I'm going to give away all 72 hats at some point. Not all at once. 
I may hold some over till next year, but at some point, these hats will either be given away or kept by me. I'm probably going to keep some for myself, you know, for my own personal use I'm talking about. I, I don't want to leave myself with, like, just one hat since I'm the one buying them. But uh, the rest of them I'm going to give away, some through radio contests, some through, you know, people I see at the World Series. I'm not going to just hand them out indiscriminately. I'm not going to just walk around with a bag of them at the World Series and hand them out to random people. I've already had people asking me, can I have one? Can I buy one? I'm really not looking to sell them. I really bought these to give away to people who are really into this show or into this site. So, like, if you're a very frequent forum poster, I'll probably give one to you, no question. If uh, you've been a very loyal, long-time listener to this show, and I know that for sure, I'll probably give one to you no matter what. Uh, if you play World Series events and want to wear a Poker Fraud Alert cap, i probably give one to you. If you've donated to the free roll frequently in the past, I'll give one to you. Uh, if you've done something else nice for Poker Fraud Alert in the past, then I will give one to you. So I want all those people to be taken care of. And the rest of them will be given away through contests, through just kind of random giveaways, whatever. So if you want one, there's various ways to get one. I think you'll get one in not too long of a time if you want one. And I'll probably have shirts printed in not too long of a time either. In fact, maybe even before the World Series is over so I can wear both a hat and a shirt with Poker Fraud Alert on it at the main event. I'm definitely going to be wearing the Poker Fraud Alert hat from now on at the World Series. The days of the L.A. Dodgers cap are over. That's what I had been wearing for a while now at the World Series since I started this site and didn't have any hat representing any poker-related site that I wanted to represent. So, tonight we're going to give away one hat, and that will be as part of a game. And someone's going to have to call in to play. Not right now, I'm going to do it a little bit later in the show. The game is called, it's something we've done before on this show, Older or Younger Than Druff. I'm 42 years old. I turned 42 in March. There are a number of poker players that you have heard of, most likely, and others well-known in the world of poker, even if they're not players, who are around my age. But the question is, are they older than me or younger than me? So I'm not going to give any kind of obvious questions. I'm not going to say, is Doyle Brunson older or younger than Druff? Or is Dan Kelly older or younger than Druff? I mean, those are very obvious answers. I'm picking people usually within a few years of my age, and if you can get three out of the five right, I already have five selected for tonight. If you can get three out of the five right or more, you will win. If you don't, then nobody gets this week's hat. So that's this week's contest. Well, just after last week's show, a story came out. Sometimes these stories in poker that I want to talk about are timed very well with this show, to where something happens like the day before or the day of this show, and then I can be like right on the story. 
Other times I have to wait a week to talk about it because it happens like right after the show. Uh, this is one of those situations where I had to wait, but it, I think it's still worth discussing. Supposedly, there have been thefts of laptops and large amounts of cash from the Rio? Now, we know what happened at the EPT Barcelona with the rooms that were broken into, probably with security helping them out, and the ensuing cover-up that poker stars helped the hotel perpetrate because they wanted to return to Barcelona and sweep it under the rug. So... We know about that. That's been talked about for a long time. And people said, okay, well, that's a foreign country. That's a foreign country. You know, it's... uh, In in Barcelona, you can understand how security can be shady and, you know, they they can work with criminals to steal people's laptops or tamper with them. And you're never shocked when you hear about this sort of thing in a foreign country. But what about in the U.S., at the home of the World Series of Poker, in the Rio itself? Is the Rio now in cahoots with criminals to have money and laptops stolen from their room? Or is there some sort of outside force that can break into hotel rooms and target poker players? Or is it perhaps none of these? And are these stories fabricated? And why would someone fabricate something like that? So... I am going to talk about these alleged thefts and give my opinion as to whether or not I believe the stories and what I think is really happening here. Just all speculation. I have no idea. Someone asking me the text phone number right now. It's 702-623-1423. I know a difficult number, but 702-623-1423 is the number to text me if you want to. Seems like ever since we changed phone numbers for text, like nobody texts me anymore. Before I had so many texts, it was like hard to read them all. Oh, there we go. I got some of them. From the 704 area code, what about a cool hat to a cool North Carolina chick? Well, I mean, we don't have any female listeners of the show, so I guess that's one reason to give it away. <laughs> Very few females listen to this thing. You might wonder who does listen to this show. And a lot of people wrongly believe that this show is popular with young males. But no, it's not. This show is very, very big with middle-aged males. If you're between 35 and 55 and male, then you are in this show's demographic. That's mainly who listen to this show. Males between 35 and 55. That's a very, very large percentage of our listenership. Which I guess makes sense because I am between 35 and 55. This from the 954 area code. Happy Mother's Day, you fucking donk ass. Steve Stevens watching asses. How many of you fucking degenerates didn't get your mothers a card? That's an old text. 
Never mind. Hmm. What the hell? He sent a recent text, but... Sorry about this, people. He sent me a text that somehow is not coming through properly. Like, I see it in the preview, and then when I go to read it, I see the old text from May. This is a screwy program I have here. So, okay. Um, let's just get to the show. So I give the rest of the agenda here. Of course, we'll be giving the Negranu bracelet bet updates throughout the show. Hopefully, we'll have good news. And... At the 2014 World Series of Poker so far, it's been a good year for people who are former bracelet winners from the U.S., which hopefully will favor me eventually because I'm a former bracelet winner from the U.S., and also for Magic the Gathering. We have a community of poker players who came to poker through the game Magic the Gathering. It's a card game. Uh, It was, to be honest, mostly popular with nerdy high school students in the 90s. If you were in high school in the mid-90s or the late 90s and you were a nerd, then you probably heard of or played Magic. Um, Now, surprisingly, some of these Magic players kind of uh, outgrew their nerdiness and you wouldn't picture them as Magic players. For example, David Williams. I mean, David Williams... uh, we know about other things he's been involved with, but uh, you wouldn't picture David Williams as a nerdy Magic the Gathering type. Uh, Noah Bokin, another one. Like, you don't really picture him playing Magic, but yeah, he was a Magic player. And uh, then we have a number of other ones, part of the Magic community. Eric Froelich, Gabriel Nassif, who finished uh, second at the Limit Hold'em event that I finished fifth last year. Uh, Justin Bonomo, Z. Justin, the infamous multi-accounter. Brock Parker, and uh, many others. It's the Magic the Gathering community. They still play Magic, even though a lot of them are in their 30s now. And they're actually all pretty close to one another. It's almost like, I, I wouldn't say a cult, but they these Magic players, they, they kind of stay lifelong friends. So, like, even as David Williams blew up huge and was dating celebrities, uh, he was still hanging around with his magic pals, like Eric Froelich. So this was a good year so far for the magic players. And and keep in mind, we had three magic guys at my final table last year. We had Ben Yu, the young-looking Asian kid, Justin Bonomo, and Gabriel Nassif. So a third of of the final table was magic. We already have two Magic bracelet winners in 2014. Brock Parker won his third bracelet. And a day later, Justin Bonomo won his first bracelet. So Magic showing up big in this World Series. This from the 954 area code text message. Whatever happened to Josie the Pussycat? That's uh, Bad Guy 23's ex-girlfriend who used to call the show. Uh, she has a boyfriend now, and she kind of lost interest in Poker Fraud Alert right around when she got a boyfriend. So that's the end of her. Uh, 
He also asks, what was the reason for changing the text number? I've been texting shit for two weeks with no response or acknowledgement. Do this shit again and I'm gonna have to get greasy. Okay, well, get greasy then. I might have to do this shit again. Um, I changed the text number because of the way the text system works that was attached to the main number. It no longer was easy for me to read the text in real time, so I had to switch services. This is from the 512 area code. 2 plus 2 PokerCast host Mike Johnson recently announced his retirement. Adam now looking for a replacement. I nominate Druff. It's funny, I was talking to Adam about that. He mentioned that Mike Johnson was retiring. And truthfully... Um, you know, I love doing this show, and I, I wouldn't want to give this show up no matter what, but uh, I, I would enjoy doing the 2 plus 2 poker cast with Adam, but I know it will never happen because Mason Malmuth would never have me doing the 2 plus 2 poker cast, nor would I want to do it as long as I'm banned on that site. I don't know if these guys get paid or if they do it voluntarily, but, you know, like, they do have a pretty big audience, and I like Adam, and Adam listened to this show. But uh, obviously that'll never happen. I will never be the co-host there because Mason just doesn't like me. He kind of tolerated me recently and allowed me to return to 2 plus 2, and then he found a really flimsy reason to ban me again. So, whatever. Going on with our agenda tonight, Jamie Gold, remember him? Won a $12 million first prize for the 2006 World Series of Poker main event. Probably had to give away about half of it, thanks to splitting his action with Crispin Laser and then trying to deny that he had split his action and tried to cheat Crispin Laser. But, you know, putting that aside, he got at least $6 million out of it. Well, Jamie Gold is so broke now, and he really looks awful, that he now is living his sad existence on a small boat casino in Florida. And when I say a boat casino, I don't mean a cruise ship. I mean a boat that is just a casino. I'm going to play you some clips of some uh, media related to Jamie Gold's time on this boat casino. It's very depressing, actually. Unfortunately, it doesn't play that well on radio because most of it's visual, but I will play some of it and describe what I'm seeing, and then you can go find it for yourself on Poker Fraud Alert's Flying Stupidity Forum is where I posted it. Daniel Svetkov, the snitch, the guy who first... Well, I don't know if this is really true. People are saying it's not true anymore, but I heard that the poker sites reported him to the feds after he stole $100 million from them. He was a payment processor. And then he reported them, and he became a witness for the federal government, and he was uh, put in the witness protection program. Well, what would happen to him... For all his payment processing, he processed over a billion dollars worth of poker payments. So what jail time is he getting for this? Well, would you believe that he is actually getting just time served? So he's not going back to jail? And he gets fined $13 million, So I guess crime really does pay. And we'll talk about that. Well, have you ever lost your car in a parking lot or a parking structure? Have you ever had that helpless feeling? 
But I just had it on Saturday night, and I set a record amount of time before I located it. So I'll tell you what happened to me at Bally's where I lost my car and the fail that followed. An interesting court case has recently been decided. A backer sued the person they were staking for $40,000 in makeup after the stake was over. This lawsuit has been decided. I'll tell you what happened in this lawsuit, what it was all about, and my opinion as to whether or not the decision was correct. California Online Poker. More news than that. The Indian tribes are finally getting together and coming a lot closer to a bill they can all get behind. Well, almost all of them. But most of the Indian tribes in California now support a new bill that has only been drafted. It hasn't officially been submitted yet. And that new bill, which most of the tribes support, shuts out poker stars and shuts out Casino Morongo, who's using poker stars. Casino Morongo was not happy about this and has responded angrily to it. So we'll talk about that and I will give you my analysis as to what we will be seeing in the legalized online poker landscape in California. A very big story regardless of whether or not you live in California because really what happens in California I think is going to set the tone for the rest of the nation with legalized online poker. And keeping along with the legalized online poker theme, the final thing tonight, the final subject, will be an editorial where I have determined that it's time for the Nevada legalized online poker sites to give up. Yes, to give up, to throw in the towel, not to shut down the sites, but to give up with any kind of hope of these sites making money or drawing any kind of significant traffic. It's time to deem all of these legalized online poker sites in Nevada an epic fail, because that's what they have been. I will tell you why I think that in my editorial to end the show. That's our agenda tonight. Again, if you want to call in, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Our free roll started one minute ago, so I won't bother to tell you to get in there. It's too late if you're not in there. No late registration. So let's go to our first topic, and that's the laptops that were stolen from the Rio and, and the cash stolen from the Rio. When I heard about this, I was very upset, very upset, and it made me scared. It made me scared to stay at the Rio, which is the most convenient place to stay when you're at the World Series, for obvious reasons. But it made me scared. Because when you bring your stuff to the Rio, your laptop, your money, other valuables, I mean, there's only so much you can take with you down as you're playing the tournaments. You're actually allowed to bring a laptop down and play on WSOP.com, but I haven't seen a single person doing it. You know, but anyway, most people, when they go to play a tournament at the World Series, they bring relatively little. They usually bring their phone, sometimes something to charge their phone. 
you know, sometimes something to drink, and that's it. So imagine the stress of knowing that right as the World Series began, there was not one but two alleged break-ins at the World Series of Poker where, where players had their stuff stolen. Very bad start, to say the least. And when I heard about this, I was like, oh boy. Here we go again. This is worse than the EBT Barcelona because this is happening right here in the U.S. at the World Series. This isn't a matter of just avoiding one stop on the European Poker Tour. Uh, This is a matter of, if you're going to the World Series, the place where it actually is held, you can't feel confident about staying there. So here were tweets on May 28th, which was just the second day of the World Series of Poker, from two different parties, or actually three different parties, about two different incidents. The first tweet was from Laurie Pezonen, who I think is Finnish. Both my and Jokub's laptop, Jokub is another uh, Finnish player, stolen from our room at Rio. Everything else, wallets, iPads, etc., still here. EPT Barcelona again? And then this Jokub person, whose real name is Joni uh, Jokamanian, said, Just found out that the guys also took our sanitary bags and sunglasses instead of iPad wallets. What the fuck? What is wrong with these people? So uh, I, I assume these are two women, uh, Lori and Joni from Finland. And they're saying not only did their uh, laptops and... Uh, you know, Laptops and sunglasses vanish, but the thieves also stole their sanitary bags. (laughs) Now, I have to assume sanitary bags really are what they appear to be. I I know a sanitary bag on an airplane is something that you... It's a barf bag. You know, it's what you throw up into if you get airsick. But I think when they say sanitary bags, I mean, I think they might mean tampons or something, or or maybe they mean just their bags with their toothbrush and other stuff. But whatever. Uh, Their very personal belongings were taken there, and their sunglasses, but not their wallets and other things like that, but their laptops were stolen. Now, these first tweets don't mention anything about cash being stolen. Their laptops were stolen, but not their wallets, not their iPads. So that's already very disturbing. Now keep in mind, stolen laptops do not necessarily equal tampered with laptops. And at Barcelona, what happened was that they would temporarily take laptops uh, to tamper with them and then put them back after they had installed some sort of uh, Trojan horse software that would spy on the owner of the laptop, and then they could see their cards when they would go play online poker. That was the point of this whole thing. If you just steal the person's laptop, then you might be able to steal sensitive information of theirs or read their emails or whatever, but you're not going to be able to you know, watch them play online poker. So, not sure about the laptop thefts. But then, shortly thereafter, an individual named Man Wen, not Men Wen, I'm not talking about men the master, but this is man when, M-A-N-H when, 
whose Twitter is M-U-N-M-U-N-N-Y, Mun Money, just tweeted, Did that really happen to me? Am I dreaming? Please wake up. Please wake up. Attention poker players. Large sums of money have been stolen out of my room at the Rio last night. So both on May 28th, we have laptops and sanitary bags stolen, and then large sums of money. So Man Wen went on to explain further. Not on Twitter, he explained to uh, Poker News, I believe. I came to the Rio for the World Series of Poker with my friend Jimmy Chen. He's a PLO cash game grinder. Jimmy and I checked into the Rio on May 27th, around 6.30. We came to the room and dropped off our bags and went to dinner. When we got to our room, a total of $35,000 had been taken out of our bags. Wrong sound effect, but that's good too. We got to the room, we got back to the room around midnight. Luckily, we didn't have all of our money in one spot, so all of it wasn't taken. It didn't look like they went through any of my other stuff. Nothing else was taken. Room was not messy, almost as if they knew to check the backpacks. I called the police and Rio security and filed a report. I find out that there are no security cameras in the Rio hallways, only in the elevators, and that we are basically screwed. Now, some of you might remember, on this show, we had a guest named Eric Songstegard, who's, uh, will, his name is uh, Willing to Die on Twitter. Willing number two, die on Twitter. Uh, Eric Songstegard. And during the 2013 World Series of Poker, he had an iPad and cash stolen from his room. $3,000 cash got stolen along with an iPad. And it turned out, after he did some of his own investigation, when the Rio was trying to stonewall him and cover it up, it, it looked like the Rio accidentally gave his room to someone else. So someone was actually able to go check into his room after he had checked in. So someone came into his room, found his stuff, stole it, then went back down to the Rio and said, hey, there's already a guy in here, and then they gave the guy a new room. And Eric Sonstegard came back and found that his stuff was stolen. But of course, the Rio knew who did it because they knew who they double assigned to the room, but they didn't want to admit to this. So they acted really, really shady about it and did the best to cover it up until Eric really made a huge deal about it, including appearing on this show. And eventually he was made whole. He got everything back, his laptop. And uh, while he didn't get all the money back from the thief and the thief was never named, uh, he got the rest of the money back from the Rio. So what I'll say here is when the Rio screws up in some way, you know, they didn't do this on purpose. They weren't in cahoots with this thief to steal from Eric. But when it happened and it was their fault, uh, they tried to cover it up as much as they could. So it wouldn't surprise me that the Rio doesn't want to be all that helpful in this situation either. Anyway, before you get outraged about this, especially Man Wen's situation, where he lost $35,000 from his backpack that was sitting in the room. Now, of course, there's a question. It's a question you have to ask. Why was $35,000 left in his backpack when they get to the room? Why go to the room and drop off a backpack with 35k in it? Why not take the backpack with you or at least take the 35k and quickly put it in the in-room safe, which isn't completely secure either, but it's a hell of a lot more secure than a backpack just sitting out in the room. And he doesn't really have an answer for that. 
I did notice two things that both of these victims had in common, or I should say all four, and that is they were both two to a room. You had Joni and Lori in one room, and you had Man and Jimmy Chen in the other room. Now, the reason this strikes me a little bit funny is that most people staying at the Rio don't room together. The rooms at the Rio are not that expensive. Now, if you're there on a budget, let's say you're there and you're going to play some deep stack events and some low-limit poker during the World Series and you can't afford what the Rio charges every night, fine, you know, room with someone. But when you have 35000 bucks on you and that's not even all your money, why are you rooming with Jimmy Chen? Why, why not get your own room and let Jimmy get his own room? It's, it's pretty inconvenient to have a hotel roommate. So why do it if it's not that expensive to stay there? But the reason this got my attention was that it's kind of a coincidence that both of the victims had two people in the room. And there's various things that uh, could have happened here to where it's not what it appears to be. For example, a roommate-on-roommate crime. What if one roommate is stealing from the other? Another example. What if the two roommates decide to make up this story in order to cover up uh, something else that happened that would make them look bad? Like, I'm not going to accuse Man Wen and Jimmy Chen of anything, but what if they lost the money in the blackjack pits or they, they lost it some other way? They, they lost it in a big cash game. And... Uh, what if they are backed by somebody else? What if they don't want to tell their backer, hey, we shot off your money and we didn't enter the tournaments like we promised? It's a lot easier to say it was stolen, especially if they already have someone else claiming to have been stolen from. So maybe Man and Jimmy saw the tweets from Joni and Lori and said, oh, look, great idea. We already have two other people unrelated to us who had stuff stolen from them. Let's say it happened to us too. So you have to allow for these possibilities. You can't just immediately condemn the Rio as an unsafe place. But at the same time, we have a real story from 2013 where Eric Sonstegard had his iPad and his cash stolen because the idiot Rio assigned a second person to his room without realizing it. They didn't realize Eric was checked in. They accidentally assigned a different person to that same room and that person stole from him. Maybe that happened again. Maybe there's someone at the Rio who is a criminal who's noticing people checked in on the poker rate because there is a special poker rate that's less than the normal rate at the Rio and uh, targeting these players. Maybe they get followed and then as soon as they walk out of the room, someone enters. Now, these are electronic keys. So... The question is, these devices that are, you know, the, the locks on the doors, they actually have a memory which log every time someone uses a key to enter the room. So what did the log say? Who entered? Did the maid enter? Did security enter? Did someone else enter? Like, a, like who did they say entered? Well, man insists, when I asked him on Twitter, that... Nothing was shown that the Rio looked into it and that said nobody entered. So 
what's also weird about the first story is the laptops were stolen, but the wallets were not stolen, nor is the iPad. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. We're back to talking about Lori and Joni. If you want a laptop, uh, do you think it's that expensive to get one? And if you did, would you want a used one? I mean, if you're really hurting for money, I guess yes, but laptops are relatively cheap. And laptops degrade in value very quickly. So if you have a laptop that's already a few years old, it's not worth very much at all. So if you're going to break in someone's room and steal their laptops so you can you have a free laptop, then definitely you're going to want to go after the wallets and the iPads in the room as well. So unless that person got spooked and decided to run with a laptop and not search the rest of the room, it's strange that only the laptops were taken. I don't know what to say about the sanitary bags being taken and the sunglasses, but I have to think that this Lori and Joni situation was personal in some way. That whoever did it wanted something off their laptops. Maybe their emails, maybe identity information. It may have been a personally motivated crime. Who knows, maybe Lori or Joni did this to each other. You know, Maybe one of the two did this to harm the other. I'm just making these things up. I'm just speculating. Like, let, Let's say uh, Lori is suspecting that Joni is banging her boyfriend. But the only way she can see proof of this is if she goes through Joni's email. But, but Joni is you know, always on her laptop and there's really no way to get to it without Joni catching her. So you know, what if Lori goes to the bathroom and hands off the room key to one of her friends to go in there and take both laptops and make it look like they were stolen? And then you know, gives Lori her laptop back at the end of the trip. I'm not saying that happened. I'm not accusing Lori of anything. I'm doing a hypothetical here. But what I'm trying to say is that this is a weird story. If this is a thief at the Rio who's in cahoots with security there or with someone who works for the Rio, or even if it's someone not affiliated with the Rio that found a way to get into the room, either through uh, you know these, these keys... These electronic keys can actually be hacked depending upon the model of the key lock. So let's say it is some key hacker who's able to get in. Why go, with all, why go through all that trouble just to take two laptops and not even take the iPads or the wallets? It doesn't make sense to me. I think this is personally motivated in some way. It's also possible that Something stupid happened like they didn't close their door all the way when they left. And then someone saw this as they walked by the hallway, pushed the door open. Nobody was in there, and they just bolted in, grabbed the laptops, and ran back out. Now, I don't know about the sanitary bags and sunglasses, but, you know, maybe they confused the sanitary bags for possibly having money in there and grabbed them, and uh, maybe the sunglasses were in them. I, I don't know what to say, but it's a weird story. It doesn't make sense for any kind of organized theft. But what about Man Wen and Jimmy Chen? Well, this could be one of a few things. First of all, it could be completely made up, like I said. Second, it could again be roommate on roommate, but this time for financial motivation. Maybe Jimmy stole from Man 
Maybe man stole from Jimmy. Maybe this was accomplished by, again, passing their room key to an accomplice in the bathroom or something. I mean, think about it. If you're traveling with someone to the Rio and you know there's $35,000 that is shared between the two of you, I don't know who's, you know, 35000 it was and why they're uh, commingled. Like, how is it in both of their backpacks? But let's just say they each had seventeen five in each of the backpacks. Like, if you want to steal from your roommate, the best way to do it is also have your own money stolen by an accomplice. And the best way to do that is to give your key to the accomplice. Or maybe even just to not completely close the door. That would explain why there was no key entry. Maybe uh, man was the one who closed the door and left it open a little bit. Now, I'm just making all this up again. I'm not accusing either of these guys of doing it. I'm just saying things that could have happened. I don't even know these guys. Uh, But easily there could have been a roommate-on-roommate theft. Other things that could have happened... Perhaps uh, it was known that these two were bringing a lot of cash there and that someone who knew about this told someone who they knew that worked at the Rio and this was all set up to follow them to their room or assign them to a certain room. And then when they get there, the accomplice is watching them check in, you know, go in the room, leave their stuff. And as soon as they leave the room, then the person goes in. But I don't know, it kind of seems far-fetched. How do they know that Man and Jimmy have 35 k in their backpacks? I mean, yeah, you'll say poker players probably have money on them, but how do you know that these guys not only have that much money, but that they left it outside of the safe? They left it in a place you can get to by just being in the room. How do they know this? Let's say it's an outsider targeting Man and Jimmy who know that they're carrying this much cash. Well, how do they know which room that Man and Jimmy are going to be in? How do they know which room to go into? They can't just enter, even if they had a way to enter all the rooms, they can't just enter room after room after room until they find their room, or otherwise, you know, they'll get caught eventually, someone that's in the room that sees them entering. So how do they know exactly to target these guys? How? I don't believe it. I don't think the Rio or even an outsider knew to specifically target these guys. Now, it is possible that the Rio, you know, someone working at the Rio sees two guys with backpacks, knows they're here for the World Series, and then has their buddy follow the guy up to a certain, you know, whatever floor, you know, another employee. Uh go up to that floor, you know, they text the employee, hey, go to the ninth floor right now. The employee is waiting there. And then when Man and Jimmy check in their room, uh, wait for them to exit, and then go in their room. And then find a way to wipe it from the uh, the logs, or something. I, something like that. Is it possible? Yes. Is it possible they were just targeted because they were two poker players with backpacks? Yeah. But I don't know, it's all too perfect. Like, not only do they actually have a lot of cash in their backpacks, but they leave all the cash in the backpack and leave the room, which most people would not do. I think something's fishy here. Something is fishy here. So here are the questions that really need to be asked. 
First of all, were any of the victims backed? I mean, forget about Lori and Joni because they didn't have cash stolen, but what about Man and Jimmy? Were they backed by anybody? Was it all their own money or were they backed? That's very important because if they were backed, then uh, this could be a way for them to steal their backers' money. If it's their own money, then there's much less of an incentive for them to both lie about this. But there is an incentive for one to steal from the other. Number two, between the time the stuff was left in the room and when it was discovered stolen, were both roommates constantly together? Was there any time at all when they were apart, even just to go to the bathroom? And of course, that's that would explain possibly that one roommate could have passed his key to somebody else to steal everything. Number three, after the thefts were discovered, was it confirmed that both roommates still had their room keys on them? Did Man and Jimmy check that both of them had their keys? That's what I would do. If, if I had a roommate and thing was stolen, I'd say, hey, you still have your key or did you drop it somewhere maybe? Like, and then I'd pull out my key and he'd pull out his key. And if we still had our keys, well, um, then we know we have our keys and the person got into the room some other way. But if one of them is missing his key, then that's very suspicious. So did they check on this? Number four, were there actual police reports filed on the matter? And can these police reports be scanned and posted for us to see? And they can redact whatever info they want, but can we see the existence of a police report? Because if they didn't want to file a police report, that is really suspicious. Number five, did any of the victims share their room number with anyone between their arrival time and when the thefts happened? And if so, who? Who did they tell which room they were in, if anyone. Number six, did any of the victims notice anyone going to the same floor as they did in the elevator when they initially went to their room? If so, did these people get off with them on the same floor? And did they know these people? And number seven, who did the victims tell their arrival time at the Rio? Who did they tell that they had a lot of cash on them? So I asked these questions to Man Wen. Let me see here. He answered some of them, and I never got an answer for the rest of them. i got to find the answers here. I should have this ready, but I have it in my, buried in my Twitter. He answered me. Boy, I've gotten a lot of messages here. I didn't realize how many Twitter messages I got until I'm going through them trying to find this. I guess in hindsight I should have... uh... Okay, I think I found it. Okay. Yeah, he only uh, tweeted four answers to me. Regarding the Rio... You know, question number one. No, no, I guess he didn't answer that directly. This is what he said. One, Rio claims nobody's entered my room. Two, there's no do not disturb sign up. Three, we were hungry and just went to dinner. Oh, he's answering my other questions. He he didn't answer the he didn't answer the pertinent question. He answered four other questions I asked earlier about, you know, was there do not disturb up? Uh, why did you leave the money out? He didn't answer as to the police report. So, someone did say a Craig Bradick 
I don't know him, but he claims that he knows Manwin. He said, Mun and Jimmy are two of the most legit people I know. They've been roommates for years and wouldn't steal off each other. Well, okay, but I've known people who've been close for a long time who still steal from each other. You'd be surprised. We also haven't heard about any other thefts since then. Now, it hasn't been that long of a time. It has been a week, and there has not been any other reports of thefts from the Rio. So I don't know. I don't know what to say here. I'm, I'm not that scared. I'm not that worried. I, I think there's something more to these stories than it meets the eye. I think one or both of these could be inside jobs. Again, not accusing anybody. And even if I knew for certain it was an inside job, I wouldn't know who to accuse because, uh, you know, in that case, it would probably be one roommate against the other. And I don't know who's the good roommate and who's the bad roommate. So please don't be insulted if you're listening to the show and you're one of these four people. But this is just weird. The stories don't add up. Both of them don't add up. It's possible that it's what it appears to be, but it's also very possible it's not. Someone texting that uh, the second guy's man and Jimmy got the idea from those laptop stolen texts and, uh, you know, one of the two of them decides to steal the money knowing that there was already a theft that occurred at the Rio, or that at least that was reported at the Rio. And, uh, I mean, I thought of that immediately. I thought that was very possible. So we're not going to know. We're not going to find this out. But I, I want to see a police report. Because a lot of people are afraid to file a false police report. A lot of people are afraid to do that for obvious reasons. They're happy to claim in social media that they got stolen from, but they're afraid to file a police report and get an investigation going about something they know is not true. In fact, a lot of times when people claim to have been victimized in some way, not just thefts, but in in some way they say, such and such happened to me. Oh my God, it's so awful. Blah, 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 blah. The first thing you should ask them is, have you gone to the police? And if they say no, you have to be skeptical. This includes thefts. This includes assaults. This includes harassment or stalking. If the person claims their life was so impacted by these crimes against them, but they cannot show any proof that they went to the police and file their report, they can say they went to the police, but if you can't see a police report, then you you have to wonder. And one way to get this out of them is to say, hey, you know, um, can you give me the name of the detectives you spoke to so just in case I hear anything, I can call them and tell them and see what they say. So I, I really love to know if there's a police report here. Not that a police report will prove they're telling the truth, but at least it makes their claim look a lot more legit. If there's no police report after 35K went missing, then that's really, really suspicious. But I guess we'll see. I, I think I'm going to ask Man when if there's a police report, and I'll report back next week. I already asked before, but he answered a different set of questions. 
So don't panic too much yet about the Rio. I'm the first to criticize Caesars and the Rio for his, you know, whatever needs to be criticized there. But I, I also want to be fair. I don't want to just bash them for the sake of bashing them. Speaking of something to bash them for, this from uh, Forum Wars in our chat room. Internet is down at the Rio, no live stream. Possibly, or probably also the reason for no updates for the last 25 minutes. <laughs> Jeez, what a mess. I'm going to talk a little bit later in the show about uh, other messes involving the World Series of Poker, except it's the World Series of Poker.com. And what a fail site that is. That'll be towards the end of the show. So we'll see what happens. Uh, any more thefts that occur at the Rio. And I'll see if I can get a hold of that police report if it exists. So I guess there's nothing further to report about Negranu with the internet being down. That says posted six minutes ago on Poker News, so... As of six minutes ago, it says that uh, it's still around the same, 2.1 million for Volp and 500,000 for Negranu. So it's kind of just sitting there. Kind of sitting, right, waiting for something to happen here. So we'll keep an eye on this one. So we have some results for the World Series of Poker already. Uh, Vanessa Selbst won another bracelet at the 25k mix max she's just a tournament beast I mean she's just uh, one of the best tournament players out there period these days we had Phil Helmuth almost winning bracelet number 14 but coming in second after a long heads up match against Ted Forrest so Ted Forrest ended up being victorious on that one both of them had some initial investment in Ultimate Bet. Helmuth a lot more than Forrest, but I didn't know who to root for on that one. But anyway, Ted Forrest uh, ended up winning, and Helmuth came in second, and you could tell he was depressed about that. He really wanted that 14th bracelet. Helmuth currently the leader in bracelets with 13. Magic the Gathering. That group's pretty happy right now with Brock Parker winning his third bracelet. He he won two bracelets in one year, and he just won his third. Something I'll say for Brock Parker, uh, this guy is just... Uh, he, he's showing up every year at these tournaments. When I say showing up, I mean doing well. Even at the event where I finished fifth last year, he moneyed that event and finished in the top 18. In fact, uh, one of the reasons he didn't get further was me. I won, I think, two or three hands against him near the end to uh, put an end to his tournament life there. Not from anything he really did wrong, just I got the better cards. But Brock Parker, a very good player, and very underrated and overlooked. Most people don't talk about Brock Poker, uh, Brock Poker, Brock Parker as one of the forces at the World Series, and other than that year he won two bracelets, he hadn't won anything else except for this, but he had a lot of really deep finishes, if you look it up. And he's won some big online tournaments. The guy's actually really a really good tournament player. Used to be a cash player on Stars. Uh, he used to be 
known as T. Soprano on Stars, and uh, he used to make a lot of self-effacing comments when he would run bad on there in the Limit Hold'em games. The funniest story involving Brock Parker was on Poker Stars one time when he ran really badly in the 100-200 game, and before quitting, he said, I'm going to kill myself, and left the table. Now, he always said like crazy things like that, but he would just say it for effect. He, he was never really suicidal. Well, Poker Stars was very concerned about this, and they called him up and said that they were about to call the police down to his home because they th- they're afraid he's going to harm himself, and he had to convince them that he just says this for effect. He also used to post on Everyone Poker, by the way, and if any of you remember Nikki and how she was outed at the time as working as a hooker, Nikki was another poster on Everyone Poker, the one who found that Nikki was a hooker was Brock Parker, <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, he, I mean, he's always running deep, especially in these limit events. So Brock Parker won his third bracelet, and Justin Bonomo, also known as Z Justin, who was in a big multi-accounting tournament scandal a number of years ago on Poker Stars, has pretty much redeemed himself since then by keeping his nose clean and basically being a good citizen in poker. And a lot of people will never forgive him for what he did. But uh, for the most part, he's gotten his reputation back. I mean, people are always going to remember Justin Bonomo as the multi-accounter, but uh, he finally won a bracelet. And this is another guy who has run very deep in many World Series events, made a number of final tables, including the one I played last year. He finished, I think, seventh. So... Parker and Bonomo, two Magic players, both have World Series bracelets in 2014, which is pretty amazing since we don't have that many events in the books yet. Well, uh, Jamie Gold, he's living a pretty sad existence. Jamie Gold came out of nowhere to win the 2006 main event, which is the biggest live tournament ever. 8,700-something people. Jamie Gold won it. He was the chip leader for many days and just kept it. Dominated most of the way and won. Jamie Gold's performance was actually praised by many people. That he was very good at both playing a big stack and his table talk was effective. Unfortunately, Jamie Gold wasn't the cash player that he was the tournament player. In fact, Jamie Gold was never even a significant tournament player ever again. He was pretty much a one-hit wonder. In addition, Jamie Gold had promised another person half of his action because basically he got a free seat to the 2006 World Series of Poker from Bodog for arranging big celebrity Matthew Lillard to wear Bodog clothes during the main event. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that was the celebrity he got them as an agent. And uh, I guess Kristen Leiser actually did most of the work, so uh, they awarded one seat to the two of them, and they had to choose which one actually played it, and Gold played it instead of Leiser because he convinced Leiser he was the better player. Well, I guess that was a good decision because he won the whole thing, but... Uh, he tried to stiff Lizer out of his half. 
and Lizer sued him, and uh, there was some settlement after a while. There was the infamous $6 million voicemail message where Gold was stupid enough to leave Lizer a message when Lizer was hassling about it during the tournament, uh, saying, hey, leave me alone, I'm trying to concentrate here, you'll get your half. So, that pretty much killed Jamie Gold's attempt to stiff Lizer once the lawsuit was filed. So, uh, I'm assuming that Gold probably settled for most of the $6 million dollars. So he got to keep like six minus whatever he paid in taxes, I'm guessing. But still, that's a lot of money. How could he be broke? Well, Jamie Gold allegedly developed a drug problem. Allegedly, uh, you know, I heard cocaine was involved. Uh, He looks like someone who's been on drugs. He just looks absolutely terrible. And he also played in a lot of big cash games and was the fish. He had no clue. He was a huge underdog compared to some of these really experienced, really good cash players. So Jamie Gold's money was all gone. Jamie Gold has IRS problems at the moment. Jamie Gold had his bracelet up for sale. But most embarrassingly, I mean, he was he was involving himself in whatever small-time project would pay him. It's kind of like when a former big-time actor is reduced to doing really lame commercials late at night. You know this person is probably hurting for money. Like if if you were a big big time once well respected actor you wouldn't be doing gimmicky commercials that air at two in the morning for some sort of mail order product you just wouldn't be doing it you'd have more dignity than that you wouldn't do this for a little bit of money but if, if you're broke if you've shot off all your money then you use your past reputation your past notoriety to take whatever work you can get so that's what Jamie Gold has been doing and uh, you know, he's been representing various poker rooms, and all these have ended up in failure. But his newest project, which we've talked about before on the show, is the Island Breeze Casino in Palm Beach, Florida. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I have some news. The tournament is over. Congratulations to new winner Daniel Negreanu. Just kidding. Paul Volpe wins the event. Daniel Negreanu finishes second and our bet is safe. Our bet has survived by the skin of its teeth. We will live another day. Our 7500 bucks remains intact. Boy, I was not looking forward to having to hand $7,500 to Daniel Negreanu on behalf of PokerFraudAlert.com. I really did not want to do that. I have a feeling that money might end up in the pockets of Choice Center. I did not want to hand over that money. Of course, I would. I made a bet I'm not going to stiff Negreanu if I lose, but I do not want to give it to him. I want him to give it to me, to then to give to the rest of you. It's a good job, Paul Volpe, for winning a bracelet and saving our asses here. Now, to be fair, Volpe had a lead for quite some time, and Negreanu would have had to make a big comeback, but this actually ended sooner than I thought it would. So that's it. It's all over. No more sweat. Whew. 
Very good. All right, so uh, back to Jamie Gold. Jamie Gold involves himself with the Island Breeze Casino in Palm Beach, Florida. There's a Jamie Gold poker room there. Now you might think, okay, no big deal. I mean, yeah, it's kind of pretty far to fall from a $12 million main event winner to representing some small casino in Florida, but all right, you know, it could be worse. But it's not just a casino. It's actually a boat. You might think, oh, cool, a casino boat. No, not cool at all. Now, you might be picturing a cruise ship. But no, this is a depressing little boat that goes out to the water, goes into international waters for five and a half hours, and once it's over there, then they can run casino games. But you're stuck on that boat. So imagine you want to gamble, whether it's poker, whether it's slots or craps or whatever you're going to play on there, blackjack. So you bring your gambling budget on the boat. You have to wait to play until it gets far enough out from shore. Then you start playing, and then you run bad, and you you lose a lot of money, and you lose the money you brought. And you're like, okay, I'm ready to go home now. Nope, you can't go home. You're stuck. You are stuck on the boat. You are stuck in that casino until the boat comes back to shore. Now, this wouldn't be that bad if the boat was like, parked offshore somewhere and little boats were taking you back and forth. But this boat, you actually have to board. Then the boat itself goes all the way offshore and you have to wait until it comes back before you get off. That is miserable. You don't have any control of when you start and end gambling. And other than tournaments, other than poker tournaments, where obviously you're playing until you bust, there is no situation in gambling where you are forced to remain in the casino when you don't want to be there anymore. But here you are forced because you can't get off the boat. How depressing is that if you lose your money and you have to just sit around in a casino that is really nothing else but a floating casino until the boat comes back? That is like the worst ever. So this is not... Now, by the way, I guess I've been pronouncing Volpe's name wrong. It's Volpe. Sorry. Sorry, Volpe. But uh, that's what Jamie Gold is doing. Now, I mentioned that before. That's not new news. But what is new are some videos that have surfaced of the Island Breeze Casino. You can take a look at it. Now, this is a promotional video for the Island Breeze Casino that was posted to YouTube, which about it's a minute and a half, and about 40 seconds in, you get to see Jamie Gold. And this video shows people boarding the boat, and it shows the casino on the boat. You're not going to hear anything but the music, but I want you to hear the music. Here we go.
So, okay. Uh, we're not even up to the part where Jamie Gold appears. That's like six seconds away. They're playing that as people are boarding the boat. And this is really the music. This is not a joke. This is the promotional video. You're supposed to listen to this music and look at the pictures of the casino and people boarding it and the slot machines and, and want to go there. So you're in the poker room with Jamie Gold. He blew his money and he stuck doing this. Jamie Gold is here. He'll play. And if he wins a hundred bucks off you, it'll mean something to him. Jamie Gold is here. His complexion's really bad because he did a lot of coke. Jamie Gold is here. And you can play craps or slots if you get tired of him. Woo! They're showing a bunch of people sitting around like they can't stand to be there anymore. They want to get off. Some are probably considering jumping overboard and swimming or to shore. There's a guy raising his arms. He's excited he won at the Jamie Gold poker table. So anyway, I mean, this music sounds like something they would play... Uh, in 1975 at uh, some sort of uh, really bad nightclub. How can you play music like that and expect to attract people? I mean, the whole video is cheesy, but the how did they pick this music? How, how did they search for music to pick for this promo and say, yeah, that's the sound we want. That's the sound we want. People boarding the boat, they are. Most of them look like they're over 60 and overweight. Yes, they are. They're boarding the boat. Enjoy the next six hours of your life here. Okay, so a lot of old people on here. It's a depressing scene. And if you want to be even more depressed, at least in this video that I just played, it's promotional, and I, I think even the poker they were showing was staged for the video. It was That was a promotional video. But here is a video that someone took of what actually goes on in the boat. And someone took a video of the poker table, what looks like the one poker table running, and a woman standing right next to it named Brooke Eden, who's a local musician there in Palm Beach, Florida, who's singing. So you have a, a live singer right by the poker table as you're playing. And Jamie Gold is there. I'll describe what he's doing in this in this next video. So <laughs> someone, I think, recorded this because they were recording this local musician. But in this video, you see Jamie Gold actually playing poker, and he looks very bored and miserable there in the corner. And he finally stands up and goes to talk to someone, and then he sits down, and then he talks to someone else, and his shirt looks all wrinkled, he looks all disheveled. 
you know, now that I'm looking more carefully, it looks like they're not even playing poker. Like they're sitting at the poker table, and Jamie's one of the ones sitting there. But I don't see anyone having chips or any cards being dealt. So it's probably an, a dead, empty poker table, and and people just sitting there and listening to this stupid cover of the Big and Rich Save a Horse Ride a Cowboy song. This is what Jamie Gold's life has been reduced to. He's stuck on this boat listening to this. And then uh, some guy goes up to Jamie and pats him on the back, and then they go walk off somewhere, maybe to do coke. I don't know. But I mean, <laughs> imagine this is what your life is reduced to after winning a $12 million prize in the main event in 2006. Imagine if Jamie Gold could see this, that this is his life in 2014 when he won in 2006. If you were jealous of Jamie Gold winning all that money in 2006... All you have to do is watch this. <laughs> there's like, there's some woman there who was sitting there with Jamie and she stands up and she's literally dancing with herself, but not even like vigorously dancing, kind of just like very slowly moving her arms and legs to this song. Every, every once in a while, she moves her arms and legs and then just stands still. Save a horse, ride a cowboy. Everybody say, save Jamie Gold, ride a boat. Okay, let me try uh, putting these two together here. Let me try this. It actually sounds pretty good together. I think I think I've uh Uh oh. Someone trying to call my home phone during this show. Yes, I still have a home phone. Yes, I do. And I forgot to turn off the ringer. Jeez. Oh, I know what this is. Hmm. I think someone was trying to call the show. Is that what's happening here? No. I thought maybe I was forwarding the show phone to my home number, but that's not true. See, now you're making me all paranoid here. All right, 775-455-775-372-8355-702-430-1808 are the two phone numbers to call me if you do want to call the show. <laughs> Someone in chat saying, together it sounds like a real casino. Someone in chat saying, CEO of the Island Breeze Casino calling Druffs home. That's probably what's happening. All right, so someone else saying, if your gambling laws, referring to the U.S. gambling laws, weren't so insane, there wouldn't be need for dodgy boats. That's Lord of the Fraud, who's a British guy. 
If your gambling laws weren't so insane, there wouldn't be any need for dodgy boats. Well, there actually is no need for dodgy boats, because there are plenty of casinos in Florida. That's the thing I forgot to mention, that Florida has plenty of land-based casinos. That's actually why there's a number of poker players in Florida, because they have casinos over there. So it's not even like that's your only option over there in Palm Beach. In Palm Beach. All righty, so let's move on. Enough about Jamie Gold. As fun as it is to play that music, enough with Jamie Gold. I have an idea. I'm, I'm going to figure out what this song is. I, I want to know if this is a real song or if this is uh, something they produced as an original song for this promo. I should be kind of impressed if it's an original song. So I'm going to use my Shazam app on... Yeah. You know what? It's be too much of a pain in the ass because I have to put it on my computer speakers. You know, forget the whole thing. I don't care that much. Let's move on. Let's talk about Daniel Svetkov instead. Yeah, Darkstar asking, can that music play during the poker fraud alert, poker free rolls? <laughs> I think that should be the hold music for pokerfraudalert.com. I think that should be the poker fraud alert radio show hold music when, like, you know, but I'm doing the show by myself. Like, what if I have to go to the bathroom and I have nothing else to play, you guys? I don't have any clips to play, and I've got to take a piss really, really badly. So instead of just leaving you with dead air, I can say, okay, guys, hang on, I'll be back in a second. You know, I think if I ever have my own hold music... If I ever run a business to where people call and have to get hold music, I'm definitely going to use this as my hold music. I'm not even going to get their permission. I'm just going to steal it. This is definitely going to be my hold music. In fact, maybe I will rig up my home phone to be whenever I put someone on hold, they will hear this. Like, my phone will ring. Here we go. Then I'll answer. Hello? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing my radio show right now, but if you hold on, I'm almost finished. You just hold on, in five minutes I'll be done with my show, and then uh, I'll talk to you. Just I'll put you on hold here. You know what they should do? They should actually hire a band to be on this on this island, uh, this floating casino all the time, and actually play that music on board. They should have a live band playing that music. Just nothing but that over and over and over again. I think I may actually take the Island Breeze casino cruise if that's what they did. If I could just sit there and listen to this all day.
Okay, I got to stop this. I see our ratings are plummeting. People are not enjoying this music. Our ratings are falling faster than Daniel Negreanu's chip stack. Let's talk again about uh, Daniel Svetkov. And the amazing situation where uh, he's not going to be able to, he's not going to spend any time in jail. Uh, Daniel Svetkov, and we mentioned this last week on this show, this is not a new story. Daniel Svetkov was trying to avoid a long jail sentence and his lawyer was basically saying, hey, uh, number one, he cooperated with the U.S. government. Number two, uh, jail is very tough on him. You know, when you've never been in jail before and you're in there for four months like Svetkov was, he already uh, already suffered a lot. So why not just say, we'll call it even, time served, all done. His lawyer said, the reality is that even one day in those types of conditions, referring to his... uh, incarceration can be exceedingly harsh punishment for a first-time offender like Mr. Svetkov. (laughs) Of course jail is kind of a harsh place. It's not supposed to be a nice or pleasant place when you break the law, when you process over a billion dollars of poker payments, when you know you're breaking the law and doing so, and you're making shitloads of money because you're breaking the law doing so, and when you're stealing a hundred plus million of it for yourself, then yes, prison is a likelihood for you, and you can't complain that it's not a place you would want to be or could handle very well. It's kind of like when Ray Bittar, when his lawyer said that his medical condition is not compatible with prison. This is kind of similar. But basically they're saying, hey, Svetkov he cooperated with you guys, so he served enough time. Be done with him. So, it has now been decided that, like his lawyer requested, he's not going to be doing any more jail time. Reuters has reported that Svetkov was given time served, so his prison sentence is already complete, he's done, and a $13 million fine. Now you say, well, at least he's paying a hefty fine. But keep in mind, he made so much money. He made so much money, and he stole so much money. And while a lot of reports say that he blew it all because he had an extremely lavish lifestyle, he spent faster than he could make the money, it seemed. But, I mean, he he lived one of the highest-flying lifestyles that you've ever seen. But it's possible he still has some hidden away. So I don't even know if he's going to really pay the $13 million fine or if it's just something to be hanging over his head, but money he'll never really make back. While at the same time has plenty of money hidden away. I I don't know if he has money hidden or not, but the fact that you could blatantly process payments like this and make so much money and steal $100 million of it and get four months in prison? I mean, if I knew that, I would have done it. Imagine. He processed most of the payments during a certain period of time 
for Poker Stars and Full Tilt and UB. He was the payment processor. He was the money mover. And all he gets is four months in prison because he was willing to rat out those sites when they busted him? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, it's not that I think payment processing is a horrible thing to do and it makes you a cold criminal. I don't think that. I mean, we had Chad Ellie on this show. He was a payment processor too. But the difference is that Daniel Svetkov stole $100 million in addition to payment processing. So he was a thief. He was a thief and a, and a payment processor. But even if he wasn't a thief, it does bother me a little bit when someone can break the law so blatantly and make all kinds of money that you and I cannot make because we are afraid to break the law. We are afraid of going to jail. We say, hey, we don't ha- morally object to processing payments for poker rooms, but we know it's illegal, so even though there's a lot of money to make from it, we're not going to touch it because we don't want to go to prison. And then the guy gets four months. All it shows is that crime does pay, especially if you're willing to go rat out the people you're working with to the feds. And I would understand more if they gave him this in order to capture a real high-value criminal. Like, let's say they gave him this deal because it turned out uh, he was working with mass murderers and his testimony could get these mass murderers convicted. Well, fine. Then give him his four months. But all he's doing is reporting on other financial criminals. That is, the poker sites. So... This is really messed up. He should have gotten much more time both because of the extent of what he was doing with the payment processing and the fact that he stole. So you can't even say, well, it was a victimless crime. No, it wasn't. There were victims. He stole $100 million. That's not what he was arrested for, but he did it. You would think that might be a factor in the sentencing, but I guess they don't care. I guess they see like a criminal stealing from other criminals. But it just really bothers me when you break the law and you get rewarded for it. There should always be enough deterrent for breaking the law to where if you get caught that you're sorry you did it. That should always be the situation where You break the law, you're taking a certain risk that you're gaining in some way by breaking the law, but if you get caught, then you're going to wish you never did it in the first place. But if even when caught, it ends up being worth it to you, then it's like a free roll. And that's what happened here. Imagine if you robbed a bank and you didn't hurt anybody. You know, you robbed a bank, but you just handed the teller a note, give me all your money, or I'm going to shoot someone. But you don't really have a gun, you're just handing them a note. And the teller hands you all the money and you run off. Then they catch you a few months later. You'd get a lot of time in prison. You wouldn't get four months for that. But Daniel Svetkov stole $100 million. He processed over a billion dollars in payments. He was caught. And he gets four months. Unbelievable.
So, everybody in chat agreeing with this one. A lot of times the chat gives me a hard time when I say things like this and, you know, I give my opinion on something and the chat gets angry because they don't agree with me, but everyone agrees here. Bukowski72 says, Druff is right. Who would not do what he did if they could get the same punishment? Exactly. If I could go back in time, I would, I would be Daniel Svetkov, except I wouldn't blow all the money. I'm not even kidding. If I could go back in time, I would process those payments, and I could. It wasn't that all that hard to do. It was just being willing to take the risk. I would process all those payments. I would let them arrest me. I'd spend my four months in jail. I would hide away hundreds of millions of dollars that I would have made from it. Get, get out of prison after four months and then say, okay, thank you very much and uh, go live my life in some other country with the hundreds of millions of dollars I socked away. There always has to be a deterrent for breaking the law or there's no point to have laws. So you have to put aside how you feel about payment processing. You have to put aside how you feel about the legality or illegality of online poker. You have to just say there was a law in place. There was a law in place that stopped you and I from engaging in the very lucrative business of poker payment processing. A law that Daniel Svetkov chose to break more than anyone else. Made obscene money because of his willingness to break the law, and he got four months. <laughs> Someone in chat saying they take the death sentence for hundreds of millions. I don't see how you do that. You wouldn't be able to enjoy the money. You'd be dead. I guess maybe if you have kids and they can inherit the money and you want them to enjoy it, but... Now, I wouldn't take the death penalty for hundreds of millions, but, you know, I, I would spend... Now, a few years in prison if I came out with hundreds of millions. Forget about four months. I wouldn't spend 20 years in prison, but, you know, if they gave me a three-year sentence and uh, I knew I could walk away with hundreds of millions, I'd do it. I'd do it. You know. I'd have to uh, learn how to shower with soap and to never, ever drop it. But... I'd do it. So that happened. When his lawyer was asking for this, I'm going, this guy's crazy. I thought he may actually get it, but I'm going, this is crazy. Imagine asking for just time served here, given everything that happened. He got it. Well, I'll tell you what I didn't get. And that was my car. On Saturday night, I mean, Saturday just wasn't a good day for me all around. So Saturday, I wake up and I go down to the Millionaire Maker event, my first World Series event, at 11 a.m. And I just can't get anything going. Just right from the start, I'm losing, and I didn't last very long, and I was out by about 2.30. Didn't even last four levels. So I go, oh, that sucks. You know, last year I cashed without even having to enter the second flight. This year I was definitely entering the second flight. So took a little break and 
met up with a few poker fraud alert people who were playing that same event, including Jay Stat, who I met for the first time, Matt the Rat, who I've met before, and Shiz Money, who I hadn't met before. They were all playing the event as well. And hung out until the 5 p.m. second flight of The Millionaire Maker started. Got off to a bad start on that one, but I did manage to double up. Not ever have doubled my starting stack because I had lost almost 2,000 chips already, but I doubled up with a flush draw and over cards against the set. A, a hand that pretty much plays itself when you have the stack I do. You're definitely getting all the money in at that point. Didn't know I was against the set, but I knew I was against some real hand. So, hit the non-board pairing heart on the river to double up. And then I was actually able to run my stack... Or sorry, that was a different event. I'm confused. Never mind. This is all jumbling in my head. Anyway, I'm not going to go through all the hands, but the second flight of the Millionaire Maker, I I think I ran up my $4,500 stack, tournament dollar stack, to like seven yeah. k and then lost it all. Made it to like level 6. Uh, again, I wasn't even close to cashing. Probably made it through about half the field. So it was uh, near midnight, or maybe it was midnight, and... I was done for the day, having played two flights at the same event and bricking both of them, 0 for 2 in the World Series already. And I tweeted about my results. And Matt the Rat, who was staying at Bally's, which is down the street from the Rio, tweeted back to me that he was currently waiting for the shuttle to take him back to to Bally's and asked if I wanted to come visit with him. So I said, all right, sure. So I came over to Matt the Rat and told him, you know, forget the stupid shuttle. I'll drive you back myself and we can hang out a bit. So I I had never really spent much time with Matt. Uh, I would meet him quickly and he'd give me some stuff he brought from Canada, stuff that you can't buy in the U.S., like snacks and uh, very nice guy. And listen to this show every week, but uh, never had spent that much time with him in person. So I drove him to Bally's. We went to some little sandwich place there, and I got a sandwich. He got something small, like a little drink. and We talked for a while about a whole bunch of different topics. Got to be about 2-something a.m. And it had been a long day. You know, I started playing at 11 a.m. Here was 2 a.m., and I had played two events, and I was tired. So I said, hey, I got to get going. So he goes back to his room, and as soon as he walks away, I realize the bad news that I have forgotten, or in fact never really even took note, of where I parked my car in that very large structure at Bally's. So what do you do when it happens? You have no idea where your car is. You know it's in the Bally's lot somewhere, but you have no idea where to look. So I tried to think about it. I asked Matt, and he only remembered a little bit, but like me, he wasn't really paying attention when we pulled in because we were talking. I went up a ramp to get into the parking lot. I knew that, and I knew the ramp enters on the third floor, and I knew I never went back down. So I knew I was third floor or above, So I said, all right, I'll just start to the third floor and I'll start 
walking somewhere near the elevator because I knew we didn't walk too long to get to the elevator. And I have to find it relatively quickly doing that. So I did that. Third floor, nothing. Fourth floor, nothing. Fifth floor, nothing. Sixth floor, nothing. I said, okay, no car. And I was like sitting around there going click, 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 trying to hear that uh, beep, beep of my car when I'm clicking the remote and I just was not hearing it, was not seeing my car. Then I thought about it and I said, okay, I think I was on the fifth floor. So I walked a large area of the fifth floor, carefully inspecting all the cars. My car was not there. I said, maybe it was sixth, not fifth. Go back into the sixth floor again and walk very carefully up there. Cannot find the car. Then I tried it on third and fourth. Again, I can't find the car. Now there is a seventh floor, but that was for employees only. And you had to wind up this, you know, other ramp to get up there. I didn't remember doing that. So I'm like, there's no way I parked up there. So after about 20 minutes of this, I was so hot. I was so tired. It's like an oven in that parking lot in the summer in Vegas. So I did the only thing I could do. I called security and I said, I need you guys to get a vehicle for me and to drive me around. So... I can look for my car that way because you can cover a lot more ground in a car than you can on foot in this big lot. So they said, okay, wait there by the parking lot. Wait there where you are by the elevator and we'll send a security person over. So I sit there for 20 minutes. Nobody shows up. Finally at 3 a.m., which is 40 minutes after this whole ordeal began, a guy rides out of a on a bicycle out of the elevator. A, a guy on a bike in an elevator rides out, a security guy. I go, oh, you were here for me? He says, no. You actually need to go out there. You're the guy who lost the car, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, go out there if someone's waiting for you. So I go, okay, good. It's not going to be a bike guy because I was looking for a car to drive me around, not a bike. So I see a flashing yellow light out there. I'm figuring the car is right there waiting for me to drive me around and find my car. So I go out there, and it's another guy on a bike. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, what the hell? What can a security guard on a bike do for me here? Am I supposed to ride on his handlebars? So he tells me that he wants my key so he can keep clicking it he can ride around clicking it so my car beeps and he can come back and tell me where he found it. And I thought that's a stupid plan because if he doesn't press it in the right place, if he doesn't hear the beeps, uh, he has no idea what car he's looking for. I mean, I can describe the car, but at least I know what the car looks like. He doesn't. So I very carefully described the car to him. Make, model, color, even the license plate. I gave him everything. He told me, okay, 15 or 20 minutes, I'll be back. So... I sit down on the floor near the elevator. I'm tired of standing at this point. I sit down on the floor near the elevator of the parking structure, and all these drunk club kids are coming back because it's Saturday night at 3 a.m., and they're sure I'm some derelict sitting there too drunk to even move. they sure that's why. I'm, like, like, why else would a guy be sitting next to the parking lot elevator? And some of them are making comments like, oh, man, I want to have what this guy's having. And just it's dumb shit like that. And I'm just ignoring them. Like part of me is embarrassed, but like the rest of me doesn't give a crap. 
So I'm waiting what seems like an eternity for this guy on the bike to come back and give me the good news that he found my car. 20 minutes pass, nothing. 30 minutes pass, nothing. Finally, after 40 minutes, I like it's 3.40 now. It's an hour 20 minutes after this ordeal began. I don't know where the hell this guy is. He's got my car key, but I've got to call security and have them summon this guy back. Whatever he's doing is not working. So I get on the phone, and right then I see that flashing yellow light again. I see that flashing yellow light, and I realize that it must be over, that he must have found my car. He's back to let me know where to go get it, where to find my car. And I can't tell you how happy I was to see that flashing light. It was just a momentous event for me to see this guy in his flashing yellow light riding towards me again. It's not the music I intended, but I think it's fine. So he walk, he rides up toward me. You know what? Screw this music. I really should listen to this stuff beforehand. I prepare it and then I don't listen to it. So he rides up to me and tells me, uh, you have an SUV, right? No. No. I don't have an SUV. I did not tell you I had an SUV. Why are you looking for an SUV? Nothing about the description of my car had anything to do with an SUV. So you've been gone for 40 minutes looking for an SUV that I do not have. So he told me he could not find my car, my SUV, that the beeps did not come off when he's pressing the remote. Of course, the fact he's looking for the wrong car doesn't help. And furthermore, he no longer believes that I actually parked my car at Bally's. I probably parked at Planet Hollywood. I'm just forgetting. So I tried to assure him, I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that I parked at Bally's. And he's like, yeah, okay, I know you think that. I'm like, no, I know for sure. I remember this very unique ramp coming to Bally's. I parked at Bally's. So then he whips out his phone and he goes on the web. I'm like, what's this guy doing web surfing during all this? I go, what are you doing? He says, I need to know again the make and model of your car so I can Google your car and see what it looks like, and then I'll take another ride around the parking lot and go find it. (laughs) I said, you got to be kidding me. I sat here for 40 minutes while you're searching for an SUV after already taking a description of my car. Now I'm supposed to wait again while you do? No way. I'm not waiting for it. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting another 40 minutes for this. We tried it once. I said to him, no offense, but we tried this once and it didn't work. So I don't want to do it again. He says, well, you can wait over in the security office. I said, no, I, I'm not waiting anywhere. We're going to have to do it a different way. I want a car to drive me around. He said, that can't be done. I said, it has to be done. He says, well, we can call the police. They'll come over and, you know, you can file a report with them. I said, we don't need to call the police here. This is very simple. I need a car. I don't care whose car. I'm about to put a Craigslist ad out saying, who wants to come down to Bally's and I'll pay you 50 bucks to drive me around the freaking lot. I wasn't kidding. I would have done it. I need someone's car 
to drive me around the lot to find mine. There has to be one car that Bally's has that they can do this with for me. So he tells me to go to the security office. I wander around. I try to find that. I end up running into the security manager. I tell him the story. And, and he wants me to give the guy another chance to ride around. So I, again, I said no. Well, finally they agreed to put me in a security vehicle that they had to go bring up from somewhere. They bring the vehicle. They have me ride around with both this bike guy and one other guy who was the driver. They actually had two guards there, you know, in case I decide to commandeer the Bally security vehicle and steal it. <laughs> you know, because there's big demand for Bally security vehicles. But uh, um, we ride around in that vehicle. We go to the third floor. Nothing. Fourth floor. Nothing. Fifth floor. Nothing. Sixth floor. Nothing. So where the hell is my car? We've covered every one of those floors. It is not there. I started thinking, crap, what if it got towed? What if it got stolen? How will I ever prove this if I don't know where it was in the first place? How can I ever conclusively say that my car is gone and that I just haven't misplaced it? I was starting to panic. It was now almost two hours since it began. And I said, let's go up to 7. I haven't been to 7 yet. I can't see why I would be up on 7, but let's try 7 just in case. So we go up to 7, and we found my car. I heard that faint beeping when I was pressing the remote, and we found it relatively close to the elevator on 7. And if my dumbass had just gone to 7 in the first place and checked up there too, instead of just 3 through 6, then... This would have been a lot shorter of an ordeal. So one thing I will never let happen again will be forgetting my car of where it is. I'm going to make sure every time I park my car in a lot from now on, I know where it is. A painful lesson. I've never had anything to this extent. 25 years ago, I was 17 years old. I was at Six Flags Magic Mountain with my first real girlfriend for her 17th birthday. She's a few months younger than me. So she was turning 17 that day. We went to Magic Mountain to celebrate, and she was not acting like herself. Prior to that day, she couldn't be more into me. I mean, she was really, really into me. She couldn't stop telling me how much she liked me how happy she was that we were together calling me all day and all night but this day she was acting funny this day she was acting cold and distant finally at 7pm that day at Magic Mountain she dumped me and boy was I devastated and surprised by it and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure out what I did wrong turned out it was just a typical teenage girl thing where they changed their mind from one second to the other but to me, it was just, like, devastating because, like, I couldn't figure out why it happened or what I did to make it occur. Like, what was different between yesterday and today that made her go from really being into me to dumping me? So the stress of all this made me forget where I had parked my car at Magic Mountain. And this was a big lot, and I had a very common car then, and boy, it was hard to find. And I was walking around like a dummy 
for 25 minutes trying to find where I had parked it, and miraculously I stumbled upon it. I mean, it could have taken hours, but I, I stumbled upon it after 25 minutes and then had to make the depressing 55-mile drive home by myself. So that was the worst instance of a lost car for me, but I eclipsed it big time here. So unless Benjamin's mom dumps me when we're at amusement park, I think this will be the worst one ever. Jay Stats saying, always use a valet at Vegas casinos. It ensures not getting jumped in the parking lot. I'll tell you what else it ensures. It ensures you're going to be standing around waiting forever. It ensures an aggravating time in the heat waiting for your car to show up, even though you supposedly have priority valet. It ensures that maybe someone has made a copy of your car key or any other keys you have attached to your car key that you didn't detach. It ensures that if they dented your car or damaged it in any way when they were parking it, that they're never going to take ownership of that. It's tough luck on you. I hate valet parking. I avoid it like a plague. I hate valet parking. So, no. You know what else bothers me about valet parking? This is not the main reason I hate it, but it's just one of the many reasons I hate it. I hate how the valets expect so much for the tip. It used to be you give the valet a dollar and they say thank you and they're happy with it. And you know, A dollar seems like nothing, but the truth is they're just getting your car and bringing it to you. And they're doing this so many times an hour, they're actually making a lot of money. So nowadays, if you give them a dollar, they give you an angry look. I don't know if you're expected to give them two or three or five, but I mean, I still give a dollar. I don't care. But but boy, they they get mad at you if you give a dollar. They don't say anything, but boy, they're not happy with a dollar. Lou Father saying, oh, I knew it was the tip. No, it's a lot of things. Even if I didn't have to tip them, I would not like valet. In fact, I've gone to resorts before where tips are included and you're not allowed to tip them. And they have valet parking, and I still ask where the self-parking is. I just don't like anyone driving my car. I don't like having to adjust the seat back. It seems like every valet is like six inches shorter than me, and they move my seat up to drive the car. I, I hate all that crap. I, I don't like having to readjust the mirrors and the seat. And uh, there, there's so many reasons I hate valet. I like doing things for myself. I don't like when they carry my bags to the room either. I carry my own bags. I unload my own car. I load my own car. I pump my own gas. I self-park. I like being in control of my own things, my own destiny. I don't like others doing things for me. I just don't. I've never liked it. And I would much rather walk 15 minutes to my car than wait 15 minutes for the valet. Because when I'm walking, number one, it's, it's more interesting to walk than just sit around. And number two, when I'm walking, I know what progress I'm making. I know what I can expect to get to my car. When you're waiting for the valet to bring your car, you don't know if it's coming in the next minute or the next 15 minutes or the next 30 minutes. Someone asking in the chat if I watched the Kings in game one. No, I, I, I don't watch hockey. I, I don't really have an interest in hockey. So I didn't watch the Kings, and I don't really care if they win or lose. I don't want them to lose, but I'm not going to care if they win or lose. 
to be honest. I know we have a lot of hockey fans on this site. So, let's get away from my feelings on valet parking and get to an interesting court case that occurred between a backer and someone who is being staked by that backer. Now, it's rare that any kind of poker money owed situation ever makes it to court. There's a lot of people owing people money in the poker world, a lot of people owing people money, but very infrequently does it make it into a court of law. It just doesn't seem to happen. Not that it shouldn't happen. I mean, if someone stiffs you and you sue them, great, you should. But it rarely happens. Um, this is not really a matter of someone owing someone else money in the traditional sense. It wasn't like a guy borrowed from someone else and didn't pay back and they get sued. That's pretty straightforward. This was a more interesting and more detailed and sort of complicated situation. A woman named Lynn Michnick is not a known name in poker, but she's you know, ran deep in some tournaments before. You can find pictures of her if you Google her. Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, Michnik, M-I-T-C-H-N-I-C-K. She was backing a player named Lee Childs. Who's Lee Childs, you might ask? You've probably heard of Lee Jones and his long-time association with poker stars. You've probably heard of Lee Salem, who's kind of been gone for a while. But who is Lee Childs? Finally, they all have kind of the same short name, Jones, Salem, Childs. But Lee Childs is a poker one-hit wonder, kind of like Jamie Gold, but not as degenerate. Lee Childs finished seventh at the 2007 World Series of Poker main event, the one Jerry Yang won, he got like 700k for it, and he struggled to break through since then. Lee Childs has played a lot of tournaments since 2007. He's had some moderate caches, but he's never cashed over 30k in a specific tournament. Like he's never had a single cache of over 30k since that one seventh place main event finish seven years ago. So as you can imagine, you enter a lot of tournaments after the 7th place finish. You pretty much brick most of them. Your best caches are in the 20s. You're going to be pretty deep in the red. And eventually, the 700 or so K you won, less taxes, less living expenses, less any other gambling habits you might have developed or already had, you're probably not going to have very much money for very long. So, and seven years is a long time. Even if you play only a light tournament schedule, over seven years you'll spend a lot of money. So Lee Childs needed some backing, as many do in the tournament scene. The tournament poker scene is very difficult to succeed in. If you're 
an amazingly good tournament player like Vanessa Selps, yeah, you can support yourself on it, but but most people can't. The expenses, the variance, it's all too tough. So Lee Childs needed to be backed, and I don't know how he hooked up with Lynn Michnick, but he did. Lynn Michnick uh, is an older woman. I, I, she looks in her 50s in this picture that I'm seeing of her. Uh, he hooked up with her, and they agreed upon a stake. Now, Lynn staked some other people, and Lynn had a contract ready for Lee Childs to sign. So she didn't just say, okay, I'm backing you. Here's some money. Go play, like a lot of backers do. She made something very formal out of it where she had a very specific and demanding contract for Childs to sign. Now, Childs was desperate for the backing, so he pretty much agreed to whatever she wanted to, which is his fault. I mean, these may have been stupid and unfavorable terms for him, but he agreed. So he signed a contract agreeing to such things as... uh, having to provide a six-month notice for the tournaments he was planning to play. (laughs) Can you imagine? Somehow Lee Childs has to figure out his tournament schedule six months in advance, according to the contract, and and then disclose it uh, to Lynn, his backer. Uh, He also has to, quote, uh, always play to the best of his ability. What does that mean? It means that uh, you are con- you're contractually agreeing that you're always going to be playing your A game, which is stupid. Like, nobody can agree to that. You, I don't know anybody who's always played their A game, who's always played to the best of their ability. Some days you're better than others. How can you even put that in a contract? Uh, then she also demanded what date he would have to submit pertinent tax forms to her for her to form to file her taxes so he agreed in the contract to give her his tax forms by january 31st even though taxes aren't due until april 15th now it is true that you know technically you're supposed to furnish any tax forms to someone else who needs them to file by january 31st but uh she actually put that in the contract she also put in the contract how long he has to pay her whatever money he makes, you know, her share of the money that he makes from anything he cashes, which that part's reasonable. It was just a very, very specific and nitpicky contract that covers every little thing. But fine, you can say that a lot of contracts are like that. A lot of times you have every little thing in a contract that you could think of, so just in case it comes up later that you can say, okay, well, we already agreed to this. That's contract 101. It's better to have more in a contract for you than less. So you can cover everything you could think of that could ever possibly happen. But what you do with that contract is a different story. How much you enforce of it pointlessly is a different story. So Lee Childs did not do very well playing for Lynn Michnick. And he got about 40k in the hole. He lost 40,000 more than he made. He was 40k in makeup. Now, for those of you that don't understand makeup, 
makeup is a concept to where if you're being staked, that if you're in the hole to the staker, that when you do cash for something, you have to give 100% of your cash to the staker until you are out of makeup. So if you're 40K in the hole to your staker and you cash for 45K in an event, first you would give your staker 40K off the top to make it even, and then from that point you do your normal split of the remaining 5K. This actually will sometimes affect the way people play. Let's say you're 100K in makeup and the top prize for the tournament is 120,000 and second place is 70,000. Well, you're going to play only to win. You're going to make reckless plays to where you either get a mountain of chips or you bust because you don't want to cash 70,000 and then get zero for it because you have to hand the entire 70 to your backer. I'm not saying that's right, but that's the way people engage in thinking when they are playing a tournament where they know they won't see a dime unless they make first place. So unfortunately, it affects the way people play. But regardless, they made this deal with the makeup, and Childs was 40K in the hole to her. Well, in 2012, Lynn Mitchnick said, you know what? I'm done with you. You're not winning. The 40K in the hole, the stake's over. I'm terminating you. And the reason I'm terminating you and ending this contract is because you have breached the contract. You have not been playing to the best of your ability because someone witnessed you and your dad playing blackjack and drinking at 2 a.m. on the night before a World Series event where it begins at 12 p.m. Terrible stuff, drinking and playing blackjack 10 hours before a tournament. How dare he? And also, he didn't submit the tax forms on time. She has to file her taxes by April 15th. The contract says that he gives her the forms he needs to give by January 31st, and he waited till after January 31st. Shame, 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 shame. So she also was unhappy that he was letting her know only weeks in advance before he would play tournaments rather than the agreed-upon six months. (laughs) So... She said, because you've been violating these various terms of the contract, you're out of here. I'm breaking the contract with you, and I am no longer staking you. But believe it or not, I actually think, even though it's kind of stupid and nitpicky, she has a right to do that. They had a contract. He didn't keep to all the ridiculous terms she had in there, even though they were stupid. He agreed to them. He didn't keep to them. And if she wants to terminate the contract because he didn't keep to it, then fine. Then she can. Then she can stop backing him and she can terminate the relationship. Totally within her rights to do so, in my opinion. However, that's not what this case is about. In fact, Lee Childs accepted that. He didn't say, no, you can't terminate the contract. You better keep staking me. No, he accepted it. The thing he didn't accept was that she demanded that even though she is voluntarily ending the stake, that now he has to pay her the 40K in makeup. Yeah. So again, makeup is not money you owe the backer. Makeup is money you only pay the backer if you cash in a tournament. 
you pay that first, and then you do your split after that. So if the backer ends their relationship with you, you don't owe the makeup to them. That's the whole point of the stake, is that they're taking the risk. So if the backer ends the relationship, then you don't have to have to pay them the makeup. Then it's over. Then it's their choice to end it. In fact, that's a choice a backer has to make with a losing stakey, is do you continue letting them play, knowing you're going to get you know, 100% of whatever they cash until they're out of makeup, or... Are they so bad? Are they in such bad shape that you think that even with that, it's not worth continuing to stake them, that they're just a losing player? Sometimes you just have to stop throwing good money after bad. So if she decided to stop throwing good money after bad and had a way out of it by her nitpicky contract, then fine. He agreed to it. He didn't keep to it. Fine. But he doesn't also owe the 40 k to her. She just has to eat that. She's ending the relationship. That's it. Well... For some reason, she didn't see it that way. So she sued him. She actually sued him. She didn't just say, hey, you owe me 40 k She sued him for the 40 k And just this past month, in May of 2014, it was ruled by a jury that even though Lee Childs did breach various elements of the contract, that the elements he breached were not considered material elements, meaning they were unimportant, and that, therefore, he doesn't owe her back the makeup. So, she lost. She lost the case. It was found that the breach in the contract was only, quote, failure to timely execute administrative tasks, such as the tax thing, and that none of it was materially in nature. Basically, the point was that Lynn Mitchnick did not lose anything financially due to Lee Child's actions. She didn't file her taxes late. She didn't pay any tax penalties. It may have been a pain in the ass to not get the information until too close to April 15th, but she still got the taxes done. She didn't lose any money out of that. Uh, He ended up paying her everything that he owed her from uh, whenever he did cash, even though he slow paid on a few occasions, but he did pay everything before the stake ended. So he hadn't misappropriated any of the money. She couldn't explain how not giving her his schedule months in advance cost her any money. She she, She was suing him, but couldn't explain how she had any damages. The only thing she lost was money that she gave him to gamble, and that's part of staking someone. So the like, the jury couldn't understand why she was entitled to this 40K. She ended the stake. She had nitpicky reasons to end the stake, and then she expects him to cover the makeup? It made no sense. Now, what was kind of interesting is that she actually showed up on 2 Plus 2 when someone started a thread about this, and wrote the following under an account named Zoomer2398. And Zoomer didn't identify themselves as who they were. Just posted this. As far as I can tell, the backer was not really suing for makeup. There was a signed contract that included a provision that Childs owed the backer the makeup if she dropped him due to contract violations on his part. And it seemed he violated the contract a lot throughout the several years that she backed him. So she's talking about this 
from a third-party standpoint, pretending that it's not her. But then inexplicably, 45 minutes later, she made another post without anyone questioning her first post, that it may have been her. Like it was like the middle of the night. 45 minutes later, she made another post identifying herself as the backer. So <laughs> she she went from pretending not to be the backer on 2 Plus 2 to being the backer 45 minutes later with no explanation as to why she changed that. And then she actually emailed the mods on 2 Plus 2 to delete the original post pretending to be a third party. (laughs) I mean, crazy stuff. This woman is not all there. So she's totally in the wrong here. And... She made a rambling post on 2 Plus 2 trying to defend herself and and people just kept saying look uh, we can't see why he owes you makeup here I mean you, you pushed the guy into a really stiff contract with all these stupid terms very specific stupid terms and you know if you want out of the contract because he broke them fine but you, you can't make him pay you makeup at that point it just makes you look really crappy it's a uh, you know it's someone who's trying to basically misappropriate money from others through frivolous lawsuits and uh, technicalities. It's it's really lame. Really lame. So it's almost like she was free-rolling. She, she backs him, puts in all these impossible terms in the contract, knowing that uh, if he breaks one of these impossible terms, she can terminate the contract and then sue him for what he is in makeup to where she figures she can't lose, which is basically what she was doing. Uh, also, the fact that she misrepresented herself on 2 plus 2 at the beginning, uh, and then even allegations that she lied in court related to whether the makeup number included online results. Uh, supposedly, she testified that the live and online makeup amounts were separate figures, and that the 40K was live makeup only. And then it was found that this directly contradicted several documents, including her own deposition testimony. And the judge in the case actually found that the funds were commingled, so she just lied about that, apparently. And um, also, one of the lawyers involved in this, who got his father, who's also a lawyer involved in the case, uh, wrote this. He said, my father cross-examined the plaintiff, Lynn, and frankly, he buried her. She could not convey how Lee's alleged breaches had deprived her of anything significant. She was a difficult witness who came across as evasive, unlikable, and self-important. In my view, she destroyed her own credibility. I believe it. Just really crappy to sue the person you were backing after you ended the stake with them. The only way I could see that being something proper to do is when the person you were staking misrepresented themselves in some way, cheated in some way, or really, really did not perform as they promised you. For example, uh, if I was backing someone and they promised me that they were going to uh, really concentrate on the tournaments and you know not abuse drugs or alcohol – you know, right before playing, and then I find out that 
most of the times they were playing, they had stayed up all night and done cocaine binges. And then when they got to the table, just played terribly. And that they hid this from me, and I kept backing them until I finally looked into it and found out that's that's what they were doing. Or if I found out someone was chip-dumping to their friends who I was backing. Or if I found out that somebody I was backing misrepresented their previous results and, in fact, were an amateur with no real skill. And they lied to me about it. Then I would sue them, and then I'd be in the right to sue them. But but not just you're backing a, a regular player, and he doesn't completely conform to every letter of your contract. I mean, that's just a crappy thing to do. So I'm glad she lost. She kind of looks like a bitch in her pictures, too. You know when you see a picture of a woman and you just you look at the picture and even if she's smiling and looks happy, you go, I bet that woman is really bitchy and difficult to deal with. Like, I've seen pictures of women like that, young and old, and I just say, this woman looks like a bitch. And almost always I'm right. Once in a while, a woman looks like a bitch in a picture, and then I meet her and she's really nice. But it's uncommon. Usually when a woman looks like a bitch in her picture, she is. I mean, the same kind of applies to guys, too. You can look at pictures of guys and go, this guy looks like a big asshole. And usually he is. Like, you meet the guy and usually he lives up to his picture. Again, once in a while, he doesn't. But uh, this woman looks like a bitch. When I saw her picture, I'm like, oh, yeah, she kind of looks like the type of woman I would see doing this. I, I don't know how old she is. She looks like 50s or something, but... I really wonder how she and Lee Childs got to even know each other. I'd love to know the backstory to that. It'd be funny if they were like secret lovers or something. Though you think they would have come out in the court case. So I think they probably weren't. Well, uh, California online poker news. And before you get to that, let me see here. Did we get? Yeah, we got some texts here. Let's see my text. Let me see the text. For the 410 area code, who's Jamie Gold? From someone from the 44 country code. I think that's Sweden. USA is 10 times more shady than Spain, you stupid yank. I don't agree with that, but okay. From the 512 area code, when you spoke to Adam Schwartz, did he say why Mike Johnson was leaving the 2 plus 2 poker cast? Uh, yeah, he said why, but I, I don't want to reveal it out here. I don't know if it was uh, private information. It wasn't anything scandalous or that interesting. I'll say that. It wasn't anything that uh, would be good gossip. He's just kind of leaving. Uh, 704 area code, referring to the thing that I was having going on at Bally's with a car. Uh, asking about the security guard. Was he high? It's Vegas, LOL. And then, wait, you were high? Bah, ha, ha, ha. No, I wasn't high. Come on now. So that's the text we've received here at 702-623-1423, our text phone number for Poker Fraud Alert Radio. So we're going to talk about the California online poker situation, the legalized online poker situation. And I said last week that it looks like it's making progress, and I think we're going to have something pretty soon that legalizes California online poker, and that we might be playing California online poker as soon as 2015. And it looks like that might come to pass, because there's been some progress. 
but some of you might not be happy about the progress. This is from OnlinePokerReport.com. It says, A vast coalition of California's tribal gaming interests have reached agreement on language for a bill that would bring legal regulated online poker to the state. We are honored to inform you and your colleagues that for the first time in five years, the undersigned tribal governments are in united support of the attached unified language that would authorize intrastate, that means within California, internet poker in the state of California. As you know, this journey has been long and difficult, but the challenges posed by the internet demand that we harness rather than seed the technology of the future for California and for our tribal communities. So the Indian tribes in California that have casinos who have been fighting for the longest time, whether they want online poker, whether they don't want online poker, uh, the terms of the online poker they want to allow. There's been a lot of fighting over the years over this. They've been trying for five years and they can't get any agreement. And for that reason, any kind of attempts to legalize online poker has resulted in a lot of wheel spinning. Basically, the Indians have been spinning their wheels in getting California to legalize online poker. But now, many tribes have gotten together in California, ones that once opposed each other and all signed this letter that they have made up a preliminary draft of this online poker bill, which I'll give you the details of very shortly, and that all these different Indian tribes agree with these terms. They've all come together and say, yes, we agree with all the following. We are behind all the following. We support this bill. This includes the Agua Caliente Band of Cuela Indians, the Barona Band of Mission Indians, the Cachildeje Band of Wintun Indians, I've never even heard of them, the Lytton Band of Pomo Indians, the Pala Band of Mission Indians, they run the Pala Casino, of course, in uh, San Diego County, uh, the Pesquinta Band of Nomlaki Indians, the Pachanga Band of Lucinio Indians, that's the ones behind the Pachanga Casino, the Rincon Band of Lucinio Indians, and that's of course, the ones behind Harris Rincon, the only Caesars Casino in California. The San Manuel Band of Mission Indians, that's in the Palm Springs area, their casino. The Siquan Band of Kumayai Indians, that's in the San Diego area. United Auburn Indian Community. The Viejas Band of Kumayai Indians, that's also in San Diego. And the Yocha Deje Wintun Nation. So some of these, I don't know what they are, but a number of Indian tribes, as you hear, that were once not on the same page, all agree that they want online poker, and they all agree to the same terms. But we're missing a major player here. What's the one that's missing? There's one important omission, and that is Morongo. Casino Morongo and the card rooms, which are not Indian, but are also authorized to offer online poker in California, you know, if uh, this gets approved. The Bicycle Club, the Commerce Casino, and Hawaiian Gardens, all of these wanted to use PokerStars software. And all of them are not signing this letter. They're all absent from this list. I think you might already know why. But if you don't, I'll tell you. Here are the key points to this online poker bill. 
And again, thanks to OnlinePokerReport.com for breaking this down. They are keeping the bad actors clause that will not allow anyone who participated in the U.S. facing online poker market after December 31st, 2006. That means no poker stars because they offered games to Californians all the way through 2011. Minimum age to play is 21. Here's a big one. If you offer unlicensed online poker in California, or if you even play on unlicensed sites in California, that is a misdemeanor offense. I can't support that one. That's pretty obnoxious. I can, I can understand offering online poker being a def- an offense, but can you imagine it's a misdemeanor now if this law were to pass to play on sites like Merge or Bovada once uh, you know these Indian legalized casinos are legalized? That's pretty obnoxious. I mean, it should never be a crime for the players to play on those unlicensed casinos. Regulations would be adopted within 180 days, meaning they're basically giving six months to develop regulations and then start offering the games. So it'll happen pretty quickly. The initial round of operator licenses are to take effect after one year of passage. So basically, whenever this passes, you can actually start playing after a year. So it's sometime in 2015, provided the bill passes. Only, quote, a qualified federally recognized California Indian tribe or a, quote, qualified card room is eligible for a license to run one of these rooms. A license term is 10 years with automatic 10-year renewals. I don't understand that. Like, why have it be 10 years if it automatically renews after 10 years? (laughs) Licensees must pay a one-time license deposit of $5 million to be credited against charges imposed pursuant to subdivision B of the license operator's gross gaming revenues. What that means is you have to put $5 million on on deposit with the state so if they get fined for anything, that that money can be taken out. So you're not paying $5 million for the license, but you're putting it on deposit that uh, it can be taken easily by regulators if you get fined. License applicants must prove that they can pay the deposit on their own. That means that you can't get a license and then get the $5 million from someone else. They're calling this the false fronts provision. This prevents uh, Indians, Indian tribes that can't afford the $5 million deposit from having someone else backing them and sharing in the profits. This is really forcing that uh, whoever gets these licenses is really the ones behind the casino. Ongoing fee for operators is 5% of gross rake. So whatever they rake, they have to pay 5% to the state. The maximum number of skins per license is two. Licensee is two. So that's saying that um, every license you get, which is only going to be one per uh, tribe or whatever, that you can at most run two different skins of an online poker room, and that's it. 
you can't run four different rooms with one license. Operator employees in direct contact with registered players must be physically located in California. That's an important provision. What that means is no more crappy third world support, which I think is great. New New Jersey has this law too. Nevada does not. That's why when you call WorldSeriesOfPoker.com support for Nevada, you get people in Antigua who are clueless. So that any employees that have any contact with players, meaning email, phone, whatever, have to reside in California. I think that's great. Affiliates will need to acquire a service provider license. That's interesting. You can't just be an affiliate because you feel like being one. You have to get a license to do so. Finally, the bill is poker only allowing for poker games approved by the Commission for Play in an authorized live poker room in California. Uh, except for PyGow and any dealer-based games. So basically, uh, it's only poker. It's only games that are approved to be played in California card rooms and not PyGow or any kind of game that is dealer-based. So basically, it's poker only And it's only poker games that have been approved for play in California card rooms. So that's the bill. And Morongo is very unhappy about this. Morongo does not like this bill because of the bad actor clause that will shut out poker stars. So Morongo has responded Morongo has actually made a quick response after this press release. Here's what they said. Morongo, Band of Mission Indians, Commerce Club, Hawaiian Gardens Casino, Bicycle Casino, and the Rational Group, which is Poker Stars, uh, responds to the 13 tribe announcement and proposed amendments to Internet Poker Legislation. We support legislation that would allow Californians to play online poker on well-regulated websites owned by California's existing trusted gaming partners and operated by the most qualified and suitable companies in the industry. So basically they're saying we agree with that part of the bill. Uh, We believe the legislative process should be used to establish a strong regulatory system that ensures stringent consumer protection, consumer choice, and maximum revenue for the state. However, we strongly oppose the so-called bad actor language that is nothing other than a blatant attempt to provide certain interests with unfair competitive advantage by arbitrarily locking out trusted internet poker brands, a.k.a. poker stars. We will vigorously oppose any legislation that includes this language. These provisions in the tribal coalition's proposed amendments are solely intended to lock out certain providers, violate both the U.S. and California constitutions... They're saying this is is unconstitutional. I don't believe that at all. It's not unconstitutional. It's saying that we're not going to let anyone in the legalized market who was breaking the law in the same industry as recently as 2011. We're not allowing that. You broke the law. Now you're not going to be part of the legalized site. Now, whether you agree or disagree with that, you can't say that's unconstitutional. By the way, this is not a bill yet. This is just a preliminary bill. 
So it goes on and says the tribal coalition amendments would exclude from participation for purely for purely anti-competitive reasons, companies that have never admitted to or been convicted of any wrongdoing are duly licensed in jurisdictions around the world and have set the gold standard in the online poker industry for game and financial integrity and player satisfaction. Well, this is a misleading statement. Uh, now, tr- it's true that PokerStars has set the gold standard in the current online community as far as an online poker room. They've done it the best. They have the best software. They have the best customer service. Uh, they didn't steal everyone's money, aside from that FPP debacle. Uh, they've done the best. They've acted the best of all the online poker sites. It's true. That's true. It is true that most players would prefer to play on PokerStars and that software than anything else. That's also true. But to say that they've never been convicted of anything, they've never admitted to anything that was, quote, wrongdoing, and that they're licensed in jurisdictions around the real world. That's a bunch of crap. The licenses were a joke. They definitely were breaking the law. There's no question about that. That's why they paid that immense fine to the U.S. Department of Justice. They were definitely breaking the law during those four and a half years between the UIGEA's passage in late 2006 and Black Friday of April 2011. They were definitely breaking the law. It doesn't matter if they've been convicted. It would be an idiot that would say, you can't say that they were breaking the law because they haven't been convicted. Anyone looking at the situation logically and rationally, you know, like the rational group does, would conclude that no matter what you think of poker stars, even if you love poker stars, they were breaking U.S. law and voluntarily and knowingly doing so up till 2011. They were doing that. So the part about they've never been convicted is crap. Who cares? They were breaking the law. It's, it's totally clear. It goes on to say, at the same time, the legislation would not exclude companies or individuals that clearly have operated illegal California-facing casino wagering and sports betting sites and that have admitted to breaking the law. So they're referring to um, sites that – I'm not sure which specific ones, but I I think ones like Bovada or whatever that – no, I guess not Bovada because they were offering poker, but I guess they're saying that ones that were offering casino games and sports betting sites, that they're not specifically excluded. That this legislation is only going after those that offered poker after December 31st. Why not ones that offered other casino games? Well, they have a point. It should be anyone who offered illegal gambling on the Internet should be excluded. But I don't think that really matters because... Uh, Companies that were not offering poker during that time likely don't have poker software to offer at this point. So I don't think they're going to get involved anyway. So that's kind of a stupid thing to say. It sounds good, but it's kind of stupid. It doesn't really mean anything. Make no mistake, we, we strongly believe that all licensees and operators should meet the highest standards of accountability and suitability. We believe the job of determining suitability should be left with the existing regulators, the California Gambling Control Commission and the Attorney General's Board of Gaming Control, using the Gambling Control Act's existing standards that these regulators have been successfully applying for many years. So they're saying California already has a gaming control board for the existing land-based casinos. So why not just use that same control commission to decide who is suitable, who isn't? Why, Why have this bad actor clause in there at all? 
We look forward to working with all stakeholders and with members of the legislature to craft a final bill that would best serve the interests and needs of all Californians and not just those who would use the legislature to prevent them, to protect them from fair competition. So basically this is saying you're only doing this because PokerStars has better software and we're partnered with them and you don't want to face the toughest competition. You want to find an excuse to shut out the toughest competition. And on the surface, that's what it looks like. On the surface, it looks like that this is an unfair attempt to shut out the best software so inferior software run by the other tribes can rise to the top and not be beaten down by PokerStars superior software and customer service. Well, believe it or not, I'm actually with uh, the 13 tribes and against Morongo on this one. Maybe you do believe it because I've talked about this before. But PokerStars has the best software, largely in part because they were funded by years and years of illegal operation in the state of California and elsewhere. They were illegally operating in the U.S. for all these years, and they had a lot of money to sink into making this great software and into developing these great customer service practices. And now they want to enter the legalized market with this huge head start over everyone else because they broke the law to get this head start. And it's just like I was saying about Svetkov. You should not be able to break the law, make a lot of money from it, get caught, and still benefit from it. You shouldn't. So as much as I would love the PokerStar software over the crap that currently exists, the Ultimate Poker software sucks, the WSOP.com software doesn't suck as bad but also sucks, I'd love PokerStars. I would love to play on there. I think it's great software. But I don't think it's fair that they should have this advantage that they derived by breaking the law. So I think the bad actors clause is correct for that reason. And I don't think it's fair to the other tribes that certain tribes like Morongo should get the best software that was developed with illegal money. I don't think it's right. I just don't think it's morally right. If it happens, you know, I'm not going to say it's a horrible thing. At least I'll get to play on better software. But I understand their point. It makes sense. So we'll see where this goes. I don't know if Morongo itself now, along with Commerce and a few others, I don't know if they have enough power to combat this 13-tribe coalition. That's pretty strong, the 13-tribe coalition. China Maniac saying in chat, they paid their fine free market. Now they paid their fine to the U.S. government. Them paying their fine would explain why they let stars off the hook from further criminal or civil penalties, that they've paid their price for what they've done. But that doesn't mean they should now gain from it again in the future. That just means they shouldn't be punished further for what they did in the past. Two different things, in my opinion. Tilted Stone saying in chat, they paid no taxes for a decade. That's true, too. At least I think it's true. Beer and Poker saying, can Daniel Svetkov still do payment processing here? If he can't, it's not much different than the Poker Stars coming back to the U.S. That's true. 
Shiny Maniac saying in chat, it's like opening a bunch of convenience stores, not paying taxes, getting caught, paying your fines, and then someone tells you you can't open a convenience store. No, that's, that's tax evasion. That's a different story. That's apples and oranges here. The problem is PokerStars has the best software because they had the money to develop the best software, and they had this money because they operated illegally all this time. They have all the experience. They have all the customer service experience. They, they have a lot of what they have because they operated for so long illegally. That's not the only reason, because other sites operated a long time and were, no, were not nearly as good, but that's part of the reason. They have a big advantage because of how long they operated illegally. He's saying they were smart, they rolled the dice. They did, and they were smart to roll the dice. It ended up being worth it for them, but I don't think they should continue to have the advantage against those that didn't roll the dice and didn't break the law. And that's the whole point. When you choose to break the law, then you have to suffer the legal consequences afterwards when you get caught. So, I think the bad actor clause should be in there. I think it's not fair that players operating illegally should be able to come in with an advantage now. It's not right. Otherwise, look, um, PokerStars is going to have the best software by far. There's no question. People are going to flock to that software. And PokerStars is going to make all kinds of money by running this room. Why? Because they operated illegally. So, again... The lesson is, break the law and you win. Even if you get caught, you still win. That's not a good lesson. I don't like it. So, also, I think that given enough time, the software will improve in California. It's not always going to be fail software. It'll get better and better as PokerStars did. PokerStars is not the only company in the world that is capable of developing good poker software. I, I do like the fact that anyone who deals with the players has to be in California. I hope that part passes, and it will open up jobs to perhaps people like me. I wouldn't want to work support, but you know what I'm saying, uh, management jobs. And I, I think that's a good thing. I think that it introduces a lot more accountability that anyone dealing with players has to physically be in the state. So, I know there's people who agree with me, people who disagree with me. I'm seeing both sides in the chat. And you can have your opinion. Uh Definitely not all the listeners of this show agree with everything I say. There's many people who disagree with the number of things I say on this show, and that's fine. I'm giving my opinion. My opinion does not have to be yours. I present the way I'm thinking about things, and maybe it'll sway you, and maybe it won't. But at least you get to hear an alternate viewpoint, even if you don't agree with me. So finally, before we shut the show down here... I want to give both an editorial and a report on the state of Nevada online poker. I did not do well in the World Series in my first three events. I'm taking a break until 
June 21st, which is my next event, but I'm not playing another one till then. But um, during the first week of the World Series, specifically a few days, I played a lot on WSOP.com. And I won some money. I, I did fairly well. But I have officially declared WSOP.com and especially UltimatePoker.com to be epic failures in the Nevada market. They are complete and utter failures. Now, how can I say that if I played on there a lot and won a lot of money? Well, they're ghost towns. I expected that the World Series of 2014, which is the first World Series when uh, this stuff is available, the first World Series where you can play legalized online poker in the state of Nevada, I thought that the joint would be jumping. Now, WSOP.com has been up for a while, and the traffic there has been rather light to say the least. But I figured, okay, look, Nevada has a small population. Most of the people who visit Vegas are not there to play poker anyway. And those that are, like, nobody wants to sit in their hotel room. You you visit Vegas from, you know, wherever you are, New York, Chicago, uh, Texas, California, wherever it is. You, You don't want to go to Vegas to sit in your hotel the whole time playing online poker. You just don't. So I figured... They're going to be fairly dead, except for about seven weeks during the year, known as World Series of Poker Time. And there, you're going to have tons of poker players, many thousands of poker players, coming in and staying a long period of time in Las Vegas. And they're going to have legalized online poker back. It's going to be right there for them. And they can play legally, and they can get their money fairly easily, and they can get money on very easily. And it's going to be highly promoted by WSOP, uh, by the World Series of Poker. And that, unlike the average Vegas tourist who comes for a weekend or for a few more days and wants to do the Vegas stuff and not sit in a hotel room all day, people here for the World Series, they, they have a lot of downtime, a lot of time between tournaments, a lot of time when they don't feel the need or urge to go paint the town red. That they're happy to sit in their hotel room and play online poker, just as many people sat in their room and played online poker back when Poker Stars was available to U.S. players. So I thought I would come on there and see all kinds of games running, all kinds of limit games, all kinds of no limit games, at high limits, at medium limits, at low limits. I thought it was going to be booming. I was looking forward to it. I was looking forward to playing the first real active online poker in the legalized market. So, I remember on the night before the Millionaire Maker, opening up WSOP.com. This is Friday night, May 30th. The World Series had already been going for three full days. And... I was excited. 
I was excited to see all the heavy traffic on there. I was excited to jump in the game. So I took a look. And I saw the heavy traffic that I was waiting for. Yeah. That's actually what I saw. Nothing. Zero, 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 all the way down. I'm not saying there were zero players on there. I'm saying you look at the top starting from the highest limit game down to mid limits, and it was literally all zeros. Not a single person at the table. Zero. I scroll down. Finally, at 2-4, no limit, I see a game running. Then there's another 2-4 game. Then there's a few 1-2s, some micro limits, but fewer than 200 cash players on there. Fewer than 200 cash players on there during the World Series of Poker. And nothing above 2-4 of any kind. Nothing above 2-4, no limit. Nothing above 2-4, limit. Nothing above... 2-4 Omaha, no, no PLO, nothing. Just just 2-4 and below. And it's not like it was 2-4 and below, but those were very busy. There's a few tables each of the other ones that were 2-4 and below. Overall, you know, fewer than 20 tables running. I thought, how could this be? We've got 7,000 people in town for... Uh, the Millionaire Maker event. How can it be that of all these people, the night before the event, there's no one playing above 2-4 and fewer than 200 people on their total? So I said, well, maybe people don't want to get into playing a lot of cash the night before the Millionaire Maker. But no. The day of the Millionaire Maker, same thing. The day after, same thing. The day after, same thing. And I realized it's just a freaking ghost town. I said, well, maybe maybe Ultimate Poker is doing better again. Maybe they stole the traffic. Couldn't see how, but it's maybe, maybe they've got all the buzz now. Well, that was even worse. That had even more zeros. That really had very few players on it. And I said, wow. We are looking at what is probably the peak for Nevada online poker. We're looking at the best of circumstances for them, where there's many thousands of people in town specifically to play poker, and there's fewer than 200 people playing on the whole site, and ultimate poker even worse. What a freaking embarrassment. And they have been promoting the hell out of this thing. Billboards around town, signs all over the Rio and everywhere else relaxed rules of the World Series that allow you to take your laptop to the play to the table and play on WSOP.com as you're in World Series events. I'm not even kidding. A grind room where they set up that uh, you can sit at computer terminals they set up there and play on WSOP.com. They tried everything they could. Generous deposit bonuses. Satellites into the main event that keep getting overlays. And still fewer than 200 people. Last report shows an average of 140 people on there playing cash. And tournaments that just get overlays one after another. And I realize that it is time 
for Nevada legalized online poker to give up. You don't realize this, but they have spent a lot of money on these. Someone saying in the chat, limit is dead, bro, get over it. No, I'm not talking about just limit. I'm talking about everything. So, if that's the very best they're getting, after all the money they've spent, after all the promotion they do, and after all the people they're getting in town specifically to play poker, and this is the very best they're doing, it's time to give up. It is time to give up. I don't mean shut the sites down. I mean, you've already set them up, so you might as well let them run. But it's time to give up the heavy marketing. It's time to give up delusions that they're going to make all kinds of money. It's time to kind of put this on the back burner and admit the whole project's a failure. Believe me, they would have never done this if they knew that this would be the traffic they would get. They are losing a fortune here, I guarantee you, on both sites. In New Jersey, they're doing a little bit better, but uh, they're still not doing well. It's still very much underperforming. There is perhaps a silver lining if these sites get the ability to merge with other states and could merge player pools, then they will have enough to where they won't be ghost towns. But as long as Nevada is standing by itself, they might as well give up. This this is the peak, and the peak is very unimpressive. Now, I'm going to start up both software, both pieces of software right now, WSOP.com and UltimatePoker.com, Nevada. And I'm going to look at them as I'm broadcasting here and tell you what I see. As I'm scrolling down, uh, I see a two-player 10-20 limit game with two guys who are Nevada locals. A guy named Don Key. I don't know who he is, but uh, a fairly solid player who lives in Nevada and is on this site constantly. And Pi J, remember him? The guy's kind of an asshole, but he's uh, he lives in Vegas now and has for a while. Two locals playing each other. Um, you scroll down further. Nothing, 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 nothing. Finally, a two-player... 3-6 no limit. Pi J again, same guy and some person named uh, MJ Parry playing heads up. 3-6 no limit. Then you get to 2-4. You have three six-handed running, th- three six-handed 2-4 no limits. A heads up 2-4 no limit with Pi J again. And then um, like five one twos running. This is the most busy I've seen it. It's like it's six one twos running. Seven. seven. There's seven one two six-handed tables. It was the most I've ever seen. So, this is probably the peak, though. This is probably the peak, because we're talking about 9.40 p.m. during World Series time. On a day I don't believe there's any kind of big no-limit event running, big meaning big field, to where these guys have nothing to do who are in town. 
This is the best it's going to get, a few hundred people. They did not put this up and sign their expensive contracts with 888.com and, and promote the shit out of this everywhere for a few hundred people. So this is a failure. This is the best they're going to do. If this, if this is just the beginning and you said, okay, well, this is okay, but you know, wait till they hit their peak, wait till they hit their stride. But that's not going to happen. This is their peak. This is the best it gets. It's like uh, I don't know what to compare this to. I don't even know. I'm trying to come up with an analogy, but I'm I'm drawing a blank here. But basically, this is as good as it gets. There's you you can't go up from here. This is it. Maybe one day later in June during the series, they'll get a little bit more traffic than this, but it's not going to be, you're not going to have a ton of people. And I even tried an experiment. I said, maybe all I need to do is sit in and wait, and then people will sit with me. And I literally sat there one night for four hours without a single person sitting with me. At 15.30 limit, of all things. I'm not even talking about, like, 50.00 limit. I played it. At 15.30 limit, I sat there like a chump for four hours waiting for a single person to sit with me until finally someone did. You say, well, maybe limit's dead. Well, I saw another guy doing it at no limit, and he just sat there like a chump and nobody was sitting with him. So I, this, this is not what I was picturing for the World Series. I was picturing a full room. So, this is not what they were hoping for. Now, I think California, if they get it going, will not be like this. Because they have a much, much bigger population. And then there's the other reason, which I'm about to get to. The problem is, even those visiting Vegas for the World Series do not want to sit in their hotel room and play online poker. They just don't. It's just not something the average person wants to do when they visit Vegas. If you're a Vegas local, sure, then you know Vegas is just an ordinary place where you live. But if you're visiting Las Vegas, you want to do things. You don't want to go back home and tell people, I came to Vegas and sat in my hotel the whole time and played online poker. No. You're going to want to have had the experiences of playing at the tables, maybe playing slots, maybe going to shows, maybe going to strip clubs, maybe going to the nightclubs, going to the bars, walking the strip, whatever. You don't want to have spent your time in Vegas in a hotel room playing online poker. It's just not something that is appealing to the average tourist. I said this all along when they were talking about developing these Nevada-only online poker rooms. I said, this is going to be a fail because tourists aren't going to want to do this. But I was wrong in thinking that World Series of Poker players will want to do this. I thought seven weeks a year they'd be busy. But I was wrong. Even the World Series of Poker tourists don't want to do this. I think the only people who want to do this, for the most part are ones who have been to Vegas so many times it's not special anymore to them. Just another place to go. Then you're okay with it. Then you don't care about sitting in your hotel room the whole day. 
but otherwise it's just not appealing to people. So Nevada doesn't have the population to support a room like this. Nevada's tourists don't feel like sitting in the hotel room, so it's not going to work. Now, California, you don't have to count on tourists. People will be in their home. The state has a huge population, and I think people will want to play online poker. I don't think it'll be a ghost town. I don't think I'll be able to sit for four hours at 1530 limit and wait for a player. I don't think that'll happen. So I'm looking forward to that, even though it's more than a year away. I eventually got some games going, but the way I got them going is by sitting by myself and waiting people to join in, you know, and then I'd even playing against other pros that I knew were good, but figured we kind of just trade money back and forth and hopefully some fish would sit. And that's what happened, you know, once the game got going, then we got a few fish that would sit there and made the whole thing worthwhile. But it was mostly local. It was mostly the same people that I've seen on there the whole time they were playing against me. I did have one hand that I was very proud of. You know, I'm not one of these people who brags about my abilities or brags about how great I am. Like, I, that's just not me. I don't attach a lot of pride to my poker play. I don't try to say I'm better than everyone. Um, I don't look down on other players unless they really honestly do suck. You know, there's some players out there who think like that everyone but like five people in poker are terrible. I'm not like that. I There's a lot of good players out there. So every once in a while, though, I have a hand that I'm proud of how I played it. And one on WSOP.com I was very proud of. I won't go through the whole hand, but I actually won over 31 big blinds with a pair of fours in Limit Hold'em. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about no limit where you both get a big stack in. Uh, one person has ace king, one person has pocket fours, and you know neither improves and the fours win. I mean that's pretty standard, but I'm talking about limit hold'em, where with just a pair of fours, with nothing else, that not only did I win, but uh, I knew I was ahead the whole way, with all the action. It's like raise, 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 and I like I know I'm winning with a pair of fours. Not pocket fours with a set. I mean a pair of fours. I have ace four with a four on the board. That's all I had. No other draw. No no flush draw. No straight draw. Just a four, just a pair of fours, no draw. And I knew from the people I was against and how they were playing and the way the whole way the hand went down that my pair of fours were good against multiple opponents raising me. I knew it, I was right, and I won over thirty one big blinds with a pair of fours. So it's moments like that I go, wow, what a play. I deserve to win a bracelet. And then there's other moments I do stupid things and I think, man, I suck. But I guess everybody has those moments in poker where you like, you can feel like a genius at some points and then feel like a complete idiot at other points. So that was one of my good moments. Take a few questions from the chat room. By the way, Four Dragons saying, oh, the guy didn't make his draw a big whoop. No, I'm not talking about a guy with a huge draw that kept raising and I put him on a draw and kept re-raising him and then he didn't hit it. I'm talking about multiple players. I only had a pair of fours. There were no draws on the board, really. 
where there was a, there was a flesh draw on it, but it turned out nobody had it because the flesh hit at the end and nobody had it. And I knew I was good the whole way. Let's take this call here. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, Druff. This is uh, The Shrink. The Shrink. You know, I want to give you props for what you did. I I know you already know what I'm talking about. You made a great series of posts on the forum, and I want to recommend this to everyone. There's a thread on the That's why I called. I wanted to thank you for tweeting that out. Okay. No, I I thought it was great. Uh, This on the Flying Stupidity Forum on Poker Fraud Alert, there's a thread called 12 Years a Poker Fan. And if you go to, like, page two, you'll see that the shrink who started that thread did a 12-part write-up on the pretty bad poker movie Lucky You. And on the surface, this sounds like it's going to be awful. Like, the, the movie's not good, so who wants to see some guy making a 12-page write-up on it? Or like That sounds awful, but it's the opposite of awful. What the guy did here, what the shrink did was he took screenshots from the movie and then pretty much told the whole plot with the screenshots with his own critical and humorous twist and created something that was actually much better than the actual movie and, and just really funny and pointed and uh, uh, very true commentary throughout the whole thing. And even if you haven't seen the movie, you're going to enjoy it. You can easily follow along. And I really recommend you go read it. It was one of the best things I've read on the forum since the forum started over two years ago. And I liked it so much that I said, I've got to tweet this thing out to my 1,700 or so followers so people who don't read the Poker Fraud Alert forum uh, can take a look at it and get a good laugh out of this. Everyone loved this thing, and I thought that was uh, a, a great piece of material. And I, I don't even know who you are. Were you somebody else on uh, on this forum at one point or on Donk Down or something? Um, I'm nobody. You're nobody. Okay. Well, I mean, you did, a, you did a good job. Now, you call yourself The Shrink. Are you really a psychologist, or is that just a name? I am, yeah. Oh, you are. Okay, good. Yeah, interesting. Um, and I also just wanted to say about the about the piece is uh, uh, give it a little chance. I think I uh, I started off a little lame. I think it might pick up a little steam towards the end. Oh, you mean the uh, the lucky you thing? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You're selling yourself short. I thought it was good the whole way. Oh, right on. Uh, you, you might be you might be I'll, correct. I'll have more material on that thread going forward. Oh, good. You know, you might be correct that the best parts were a little later in, but I I, I like the whole thing. I this wasn't one of these things that I thought of. I thought started off slow and then improved, but I, I thought it started off very good. I, I it held my interest immediately, and I'll admit when I first saw it before reading any of it, I thought, uh, you know, who wants to read this write up of Lucky You? And then I start reading and I go, oh wow. This is a pleasant surprise. This is actually very funny. And then uh, everybody liked it. It wasn't just me. Like, everybody who read this liked it. There wasn't one person who read this. And this is a pretty critical group on this forum. There wasn't mm-hmm. one group – there wasn't one person who criticized it there, which says a lot over here. So uh, good job. I, I'd, I'd like to see uh, more of that. I'm not trying to make you commit to anything, but uh, everybody enjoyed this, and that's – the type of creative stuff I like to see on this forum. Yeah, well, sometime down the line, I'm going to do Deal, which was the uh, Burt Reynolds <laughs> uh, blockbuster hit. Yeah, it's too bad that, that all one. these all these poker movies after Rounders have sucked so much. They just uh, yeah. they couldn't quite get it right. Uh, 
I think the problem was, and I think the reason Rounders was better, Rounders was before the poker boom, and they, they didn't feel like they had to squeeze in all these you know, cliche poker references. They didn't feel like they had to appeal to the mass poker fan audience. They, they just did a, a movie about a poker degenerate that was kind of just a, uh, you know, a smaller film that they weren't expecting yeah. to have mass appeal, and for that reason it was good. Here they, they try yeah, too yeah. hard to appeal to everyone, and then it always comes out stupid to where no one likes it. Yeah, well, with Lucky You, they really shoehorned in that whole this is the moment in poker history when everything changed. So they had to really emphasize the fact that, oh, now we have these, these whole cams and poker is now a spectator sport. And it kind of was overblown in that in that aspect. So yeah, and, and, the, the, and the, the cameos, they went overboard with that, too. I mean, they just uh, – <laughs> they... They were really trying so hard to squeeze in you know, every poker cameo they could, and that weird thing with Jennifer oh, yeah. Har- Jennifer Harmon playing a different player, like she she was supposed to be yeah. someone else oh, and yeah. not her. And when you read it, you'll you'll note how hilarious I think that Jason Lester is all over this movie, and uh, I assume <laughs> he must have been some kind of consultant on it because yeah. I mean. He's in every goddamn scene. And it's just, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know that you kept emphasizing that, that uh, you would think by watching this that uh, Jason Lester is like the biggest name ever in poker. I, I, also thought, yeah. I also thought it was funny that you were saying, oh, they're setting it in 2003, even though it's a 2007 movie, you know, because 2007 is such a boring time for poker. You might as well do it before the Moneymaker era when it was, uh, you know, everyone yeah. loved poker so much. So, <laughs> but don't sell 2007 too short because don't you remember that's when – Lee Childs made one of the worst folds in poker history. Yeah, well, uh, if, if, you know, if he hadn't, maybe he wouldn't have been backed by a woman who's making him submit his tournament reports six months in advance. <laughs> so, that's, I guess he got his you know, many years later for that. Yeah, exactly. So, All right, man. Well, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Thanks for your post there. Take care. Good night. So that was The Shrink, a, a Canadian, as you guys can tell. Hope I'm not giving too much away, but uh, you can tell from his accent that he's a Canadian, as are many of Poker Fraud Alert's posters and listeners. And I appreciate all of our posters and listeners, no matter where they come from, even the ones in Sweden. So if you see me around during the World Series, you can feel free to come up and say hello. And... I always like to meet the people listening to this show. And I guess that's about it. I guess we're done. I guess we've gotten through everything. You know what that means. It means the show's over. Yes, the familiar music that I always end this show with. That means... This show is not going to be broadcasting any longer this week. And it's very familiar music to you. Oh, it hiccuped for a second. So, thank you for listening. And we'll be back in just five days. Just five days. (laughs) No, no, no. You know what? I don't want that music. We're going to end with 
something a little bit different this week. There we go. I think that's a more fitting end to the show. So, we will be back in five days, weather permitting. June 10th, 2014, at 6.30 p.m. or thereabouts, Pacific Time. I will not have played any more World Series events, so I won't have anything personal to report. I won't be on Jamie Gold's boat either. Just, I won't have much to say about myself. However, maybe we'll have some more drama with the Negranu Ivy bet. Maybe some more wacky things will happen in the World Series. And maybe we'll have an update on the California poker legalization situation. Oh boy. Oh boy, I forgot something. I forgot something. Just when I was almost done with the music, too. I forgot to give away the hat. Well, let's give away the hat. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 if you want to win the hat. You can choose the color, by the way. I will mail it to you or give it to you in person, depending upon whether you will be at the World Series this summer. 775-372-8355, and caller number one gets it. I'd love to say caller number 102, but uh, I'm being realistic here. Caller number one, who wants the hat? How come I always get a ton of calls when I, I don't want them? And when I do want them, nobody wants a hat? Is really nobody going to call? Someone even asked me, what about the hat? And then they don't call in for it. Like uh, That's how I remembered as someone said in chat, what about the hat? 775-372-8355. If someone wants to win the hat with the promotion, otherwise we'll do it next week. I realize at the end of the show, some people drop off because of the... Uh, because it gets late on the East Coast. But hey, you know, if nobody wants to play the game, no problem. I'm looking at the ratings, people listening right now. They're just uh, being shy about calling in for the hat. But don't be shy. If you want a hat, you may not get one. I may run out. I keep giving, people keep saying number. Here we go. 775-FRAUD-55. Everybody's saying number. I've said it like 10 times. All right, uh, caller, you on the air. Uh, this is... Can you hear me? What was that? Is this uh, Todd yeah, this is, Yes, yes. This is, right. This is Todd Wittellis, a.k.a. Dandruff. Yes, please turn off the radio in the background. Let's start off with that. Okay. Okay. We have a girl calling in. That's uh, not what I expected, but that's great. We have a call. Okay, so... I'm a cat. So, so, what, so what is your name? Uh, Christina Graham. You don't, you don't have to give your whole name. Um, hot for sauce. Hot for sauce. Okay, <laughs> now they're going to have guys stalking you on here. I hope you, uh, at least you have a common name. So, uh, okay, Christina, hot for sauce. Let's do this here. This is a game called Older or Younger Than Druff. And uh, how well do you know poker players? Like, do you recognize names in poker? Uh, 
Uh-oh. Mm, kind of, sort of. Uh-oh. My boyfriend just kind of really got me, in, like, started, you know, got me into it here, like, a couple months ago, five, six months ago, so we'll give it a whirl. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and your boyfriend is, of course, hot like sauce. Yeah, yeah, but okay. he's not here. He's not here. Okay. Oh, is this going to be – he's going to listen to the podcast tomorrow, and he's going to be like, you failed epically. Well, no, you, it's a one in two chance. It's kind of like a true-false test. So this is – you can pass without even knowing the material. I'm sure you've had that in school before where you get there and you know nothing on this test, and you're like, oh, great, it's true-false. Maybe I can luck my way into this one. You know, I've, I've gotten some good scores on true-false tests before when I had no clue. So uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that will be your situation tonight. It's only one of two choices for five questions, and you only need three out of five. Three out of five is 60%, which in school is a D minus. So as long as you get a D minus or better tonight, you will win a hat. So uh, I like your chances here. So uh, we're going to get this started. Okay. I'm, I'm going to name people in poker. And oh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. It had a mind out of its own. So I'm going to name people in poker, and you have to say if they are older or younger than I am. Now, before we get started here, do you know how old I am? Absolutely do not. Okay, well, fortunately, that's not one of the questions. I am, well, how old do you think I sound? I won't be insulted. Just tell me how old do you think I sound if you had to guess just from my voice. Uh, 35. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm actually 42. Okay, okay. So so you've got to guess with these poker players who you don't know, but you have a one in two chance of getting these right anyway. Uh, Okay. If they're older or younger than I am, and if you get three out of five right, then you win. And these will be the sound effects you'll hear. If you get it right, you'll hear this. Okay. And if you get it wrong, okay. you will hear this. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Okay, so the first poker player, and, and chat room, please don't help out here. I, I I don't know if you're even in the chat, but if you are, uh... I can't I can't open the chat oh, room. Oh, good. All right, beautiful. <laughs> okay, so you can't get any help. Uh, the first one is Amnon Filippi. Amnon Filippi, who knocked me out of the 2012 main event. He also got busted and. Uh, Almost wasn't allowed to leave New York, I think, over some drugs thing. But uh, is Amnon Filippi older or younger than Druff? Uh, older. Amnon Filippi, you think he's older than Druff? You said you're 42? I'm 42. Amnon Filippi is born June 29th, 19... 69! You win the first question. The first question, you're 1-0 and already. So now you just got to get two out of the next four right. All right. Okay. Next one. <laughs> World Series of Poker media director, Seth Polanski. Is he older or younger than Druff? Don't let joint Whoops. discomfort. Whoops, didn't mean to do that. Older or younger than Druff, Seth Polanski, who's the director of media and these people are all around my age, by the way. There's no one way older or way younger. So it's tough. Oh. Mm. 
I'm gonna go with younger. Younger. Okay, so you guess younger. I don't have the exact date of birth of Seth Polanski, but <laughs> I. But hold on. So it's a giveaway. I, no, no, it's not a giveaway. I I don't have his exact date of birth, but I do have the fact that he is 43 years old. Aww. So you can only miss one more of That's these. Cheap. Now here's one. Maybe are you a baseball fan at all? Uh, yeah, I watch okay. a little bit of baseball. A little bit. Okay, you probably you may not know this guy then, but this guy's been around forever. He's a pitcher in baseball. He has nothing to do with poker, but I threw him in anyway. Um, this is someone who pitches for the Colorado Rockies. He's a reliever. He's their closer. His name is Latroy Hawkins. He's been around since the mid 1990s in baseball, in Major League Baseball. He still pitches this year, so obviously he's one of the older players. But is he older or younger than Druff? Uh, older. You say Latroy Hawkins is older than me. Latroy Hawkins' date of birth is December 21st, 1972. I was born in March 1972. <laughs> Nope, I'm, I'm nine months older than Latroy Hawkins, so he's actually younger. So you got to get the last two correct, or otherwise you lose. But uh, okay, so you were born in March of now. 72. That was cheating. No, he's younger <laughs> than me. How is it cheating? He's born nine months after me. Like you know, when I was born, when I was born, <laughs> Latroy Hawkins' parents had sex right around that time I was born, and then a whole nine months had to pass before he was born. Okay, so I'm definitely older than he is. All right, so next one is famed Asian player and former Full Tilt Poker owner John Juwanda. Is he older or younger than Druff? You're putting a lot of thought into this, given that it's a uh, a random choice. Let's see. I'm going to say he is younger. You're going to say he's younger. And just uh, so we don't have to do the fifth question and know whether or not it's a pointless question or not, we're going to do the other one too. Wait, no. Wait. You can't change your answer. You're changing your answer. He's younger. Now you're saying he's younger. I don't know. Are you, are you, I'll, I'll let you choose. Younger or older? For John Juwanda. One more chance. Final answer. Uh, younger. Okay. You can put in younger. And uh, at the same time, let's also do Abe Mosseri, who was recently playing with Daniel Negranu. And uh, I was hoping would knock out Negranu, but it took uh, Paul Volpe to do it. But Abe Masseri, is he older or younger than Druff? Oh, I'm going to go... Older. Older, all right. So let's take a listen here to the sound effects that will determine whether you're right or wrong. 
John Juwanda <laughs> was born on July 8th, 1971. And for good measure, you said he Wait, was... Wait, you were born in March, Yeah, in, right? 70, in 72. He was born in 71. So he's, he's older than me. You said younger. And then Abe Mosseri... Born June 21st, 1974. You said he was older. He's actually only 39 right now. He's younger. Oh, I was wrong on all of them. No, you That's got the first war. one right. You, you you bricked four in a row, but you did get the first one right. I, I do thank you for playing. And uh, don't worry, there is... You're not shut out of getting a hat. You very well might get a hat, ultimately. Just not from tonight's game. But I thank you for playing, especially uh, because you didn't know the people we're dealing with, so that made it even tougher for you. So, uh, you, you know, you got one out of five right, but these were all guesses. No, the only thing I'm going to advise is that you don't take a true or false test anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely not. I'm absolutely terrible at those, believe yes. it or not. And I was born on April 1st, so oh, I boy. think that it's not fair. Yeah, well, on April 1st on, April 1st on this show, I pretended like my girlfriend and I had a huge fight, so. Uh, yeah, I listened to that. Was that... For real or no, 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 it was I'm fake. No, it was fake. It was all staged. It was fake. <laughs> it was staged. In fact, in fact, my son had a line he was supposed to give during the fight, and he didn't do it. He forgot to give his line. Even he was involved. So, fantastic. Uh, by the way, I'm just curious uh, because you know we don't get many females listening to or calling into this show. Uh, how old are you? I am 25. You're 25. Okay, so one of the few females present here who listen to the show but i i appreciate that i don't like it being a complete sausage fest here if, if one out of the thousand or so <laughs> listeners we have between the podcast and the live show uh, is female that's uh, that's good enough so um yeah Woo! someone asking the chat room if the consolation prize is a home version of the game <laughs> but uh yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, should, we should make a uh, a home version of older or younger than Druff. Actually, make a version that's not just poker players. Like just everybody, you just guess if they're older or younger than I am. So, <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> okay, you know. By the way, I see beer and poker in the chat room. He was offering. I never answered him, but he was offering to co-host the show if I give him a hat. And I was going to say yes to that, and that just kind of never happened. But um, I will say that's open to anyone who is approved to be a co-host or has been in the past and wants to do it again. If you're going to co-host the show and you actually do it and I, and, you know, I put you on and you co-host with me, I, I will definitely give you a hat for that. So uh, just putting that All out there. Right. What are the qualifications? What are the qualifications? I, the qualifications, <laughs> I, I, I guess you have to know what I'm talking about in the uh, – as far as the topic, so you can offer some insight, and uh, and you have to be at least semi comfortable to be on a on an internet radio show. That's pretty much the only qualifications. So oh. anyway, well, uh, obviously, I failed ethically tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's okay. I I'm happy you called in and tried, and uh, yeah, we have seventy two <laughs> hats to give away, and I'm going to give them away in different ways. And you are welcome to play again. We're not under the same restriction that many radio stations have, where you can only play once every thirty days. You're you're welcome to call back. We will have another contest of some sort next week. If you want to be the contestant again, you can be. It's whoever calls in first, and uh, we will have other ways that hats are given away. So I I think you'll 
end up with one in some way if, if you do want one. <laughs> it's actually, let's see, what time, it's one twelve where where I live. Yeah. So it's late. Yeah, it is late. Okay, so um, <laughs> what we will do here is now I think is a, a good time to end the show. What do you think of this music, All by right. the way? Do you like this music? Fantastic. It's great music. So that's our, our end show music of this week. The Island Breeze Casino in Palm Beach, home of Jamie Gold, World Series of Poker Champion of 2006. And we will see you next week here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Shalom. All righty.